Welcome to another episode of Luchadors of Liberty. This episode, my friend Trey, who is not a libertarian and holds the opposite view that I do and that many libertarians do about the Middle East. So his view, um, you can decipher for yourself, obviously, of uh, interventionist, not not anti-interventionists like myself. We debated over three different proposals and overall had a good conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you come back and listen to us again. Thanks for tuning in to Luchadors of Liberty on the Higher Frequency Podcast today. Uh, so I don't have as much prepared as I would have liked to. I'll be totally honest with you, mainly because the Outer Worlds came out, and that was. I, like- I'm even I'm even less than you. I promise. I I went this weekend with a bunch of my fraternity brothers to. Oh God. Uh, yeah, to watch the UWF game. Uh, they mm-hmm. came down here, so we try and meet up every other year and do that. Yeah. Like, where are you at for college again? I know you told me, but I forgot. I, I go to Barry, uh, the law school in Orlando. Orlando. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Orlando's second, nice. Orlando's second not. person I've had a politically related conversation with from Orlando, who was also a libertarian, but like way crazier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Libertarian's such a uh, such a broad spectrum because there is anything you want it to mean. It has right. no real definition. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in all honesty, like, yeah, because there's libertarians who have, you know, there's ANCAPs, and then there's like people who are like uh, socialists and also libertarian. So it's it's yeah. one of those things where, like, when I say I'm libertarian, it's, yeah, I, I believe I am, but I also am not going to say, like, a person who has opposite views of me and they claim to be a libertarian, you know, I'm not going to tell them they're not because yeah. maybe, maybe they are in some aspect. And, and like, maybe they yeah. The conversation we had was about guns, and let me tell you, it wasn't the most cancerous conversation I've ever had about guns, but it was mm-hmm. definitely in the top three. Right. Um, like, just a total feels before reels argument, which I hope is not what we're going to have today. I hope that you're going to come at it with some real raw empiricism and that we adhere to facts. That's my dream. I don't know if that dream is going to be realized, but you know, that is definitely my dream. You know, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be realized. I don't, uh, I'm not proficient in Python or Stata like you. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to be coming at you with those kind of stats. Um, I mean, mo- I, mostly a historic, uh, historic argument, and yeah. uh, that's that's where I'm coming from. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. But like, I think uh, we'll have like, I already know. Uh, we'll worry about it when we get there. So like, what is your? I guess like we'll start with your position. And okay. then, first off, yeah. like for 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 the stream because I'm I'm gonna probably edit up until this point. So we can just like go ahead and get into the like cut that that part out. Yeah. On my end. Um. So, uh, just welcome. Thanks for coming on. Uh, mm-hmm. helping me out with my podcast. Uh, we call yeah. it the Luchadors of Liberty podcast. For those mm-hmm. of you who are listening, this is my friend Trey. Uh, he 
Is it okay if I use your name? I'm, I'm assuming yeah, that's so, fine. Because it's okay, so that's my friend Trey. Um, just got his master's in conflict. Very smart individual. He was in the uh, Model United Nations with me. Many um, years ago. Him and I get into these, uh, fa- every now and then we get into these Facebook comments, and then he's like, all right, let's take it to the. Yeah, because like, I can't, it's so hard to hold somebody accountable over Facebook to what they're saying. Like, uh, I've done, I've actually started doing this more frequently as opposed to like having these dumb arguments on Facebook where like people sort of use it as their bully pulpit. Like, this is what I believe. It's like, okay, well, like, here are the problems with it. They're like, well, this is what I believe. And like, that's like sort of all that happens. You're a little bit better than most people. To Trey's credit, um, the last one we did was the last Facebook tiff. I wouldn't even call it a tiff. It's just I see it and I comment on it. Um, It was about the TPP. And you said, wait, aren't you a libertarian? Why don't, why don't you like the TPP? And then um, I said, you know, no, this is why I don't like it. And then you said, well, you should look it up and check it out. And then we talked for about two hours about it. And mm-hmm. you definitely convinced me that um, the TPP was TPP a good idea. Uh, well, a better idea than I thought it was. And mm-hmm. uh, free trade agreement there would have been good for us in the long run. Probably. Um, I mean, it's dead now. Or... Australians have sort of taken it over and they're trying their best, but you know, like they just don't have the economic heft the United States has. So, mm-hmm. um, it may eventually there may be a trade agreement that the TPP exists and the United States just won't be a part of it. Um, which would suck. Hopefully, China's not a part, a part of it either. There's there's a lot of stuff going on with China right now, like the yeah, human rights the atrocities AID and everything. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, China's a shit show, but right. Um, so maybe we can talk about that another day. But right yep. now, um, you you proposed three uh, three different um, issues here, or three different, I guess, proposals. Uh, yeah. So we had to go in the affirmative or the in the um, alternative. And the first one was uh, no, no, that's number two. Let me see. Number one. Um, whether there is a role for U.S. troops in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I believe there there is a role right now, yeah, um, to a limited extent, not to what it has been. So uh, if I'm going to if I'm going to take the um, the negative, the alternative here, um, mm-hmm. I'll say no. Uh, in the long term, there is not a role for the U.S. in the Middle East. So in the long term, you anticipate the United States to sort of leave the Middle East? So I, in a perfect world, I would love for the United States to be out of the Middle East. Yes. Okay. Um, and the, what's, the, what's the next one? Go ahead. The next one is a hasty withdrawal of U.S. troops from the Middle East will leave a power vacuum. And to me, yeah, I, I, I feel like we're going to be on the same page there. Obviously, it does leave power vacuums. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, I probably I need to define. What do you define as hasty? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Probably uh, moving uh, like uh, your 50 troops that w- was uh, that was holding up basically uh, an ethnical cleansing in the northern Syrian border without any kind of warning would be very hasty yeah like maybe let the generals at least know that would be probably super hasty but let's assume that like we live in a world where donald trump doesn't exist what is hasty for a normal like like let's say somebody that's a dove that doesn't want to be involved in the middle east anymore what would hasty look like to you hasty to me um would be not working with your allies and your enemies to 
to shore up any kind of conflict, any kind of foreseeable conflicts that could happen in the immediate future. Just, just like um, we see as soon as, as soon as uh, the U.S. pulled those 50 troops. And I don't even want to say they pulled the troops because they didn't they turned pull around them. and went back in, yeah. They, mo- they moved them. Uh, 2,000 troops went to Saudi Arabia after that. And then a few of them went to guard oil in Syria. So what? Yeah, they, really they originally for? wanted to move them out into Iraq, and Iraq said no, we don't want them here. Um, we don't have. Well, really, they said we don't have a means of dealing with, like, supplying them, feeding them. Uh, so the U.S. turned them around and went to guard the oil fields from the Russians. Um, so, oops. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I think that's like a very granular case. At least, just like Trump being Trump being a fucking lunatic um and there's nothing you can do about that and we shouldn't be informing our foreign policy on the most abnormal presidency in modern u.s history like it will have consequences and we could talk about those consequences but i don't think that like i think that maybe the thing that irritated me most about what you said on facebook which sparked this whole thing was talking about how um like you were basically supportive of this move um I, I am, but not not how he did it. If, if you're talking about pulling the troops out of Syria, yes, mm-hmm. but that's not really that's not really what he did per se. He didn't really pull them out. They're still there. Some, you know. So it, overall, um, I think it's a very unpopular move on Trump's part, and I am definitely not in support of how Trump did it, but. Um, the view I think I was coming at was trying to say it's good that troops are getting out, and then articles came out about about uh, troops going to Saudi Arabia and them just moving to where the oil fields were. Yeah. Um, so actually, under the Trump presidency, we've become more involved in the Middle East. Exactly. That's yeah. the thing. Uh, so he talks a hard uh, anti-interventionist talk whenever it comes to his campaign trail because uh, a lot of the people who voted for him are anti-war you know anti-war hits them in the right spot and they want to say hey he's wanting to pull out and he's actually been the most interventionist president out of the last three even obama even though obama did get us into a few of these conflicts he's Mm. continued them um yeah, well, I mean, Obama also ran on a platform of "I will get everyone out of the right." Of our, our and so, so it is. That's why I think it's a popular stance, and then they just turn around and don't do it. Very, very difficult to do. Um, it's 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 very, it's, it's very easy to say I will take and bring all the troops home, but the like once you speak to the generals and you realize what the consequences will be, people go, "Holy fuck! I don't want to do that." at all um and i think that like i'll probably get to those in a little bit with you but um so what was our next point the third point uh, if you have it that'd be a, better because a full I... withdrawal of u.s troops from the middle east will harm u.s interests in the region and make the world yet less secure there you go so that's your geopolitical kind of yeah. argument um, I, tried, I had it sort of in three parts, right? Uh, right. There's, we should be there. Leaving there would be quickly will be very bad, and that um, there's a good reason for us to be there. So um, I would, I would want to hear 
you know, are you pro or anti full withdrawal of U.S. troops in the Middle East will harm U.S. interest in the region and make the world less secure? Full withdrawal, uh, yes, eventually. Like I said, hasty withdrawal, like we've seen in the past with Iraq and also this uh, northern Syria, uh, Kurdish, Turkish issue going on right now. So I won't even call it an issue. Let's call it uh, almost an ethic cleansing at this point but things seem to have chilled but things uh, do seem to have chilled and that that's the good thing um yeah well i mean mainly i think it it was because do do you have do you have like alcohol over there are you drinking any alcohol no okay i gotta punish so much last night i have Uh, to punish myself because i i i'll hit you with an um then i'll oh yeah at like right after and it's (laughs) annoying i've listened back to myself talk and i turn podcasts off (laughs) <laughs> oh, I need some sort of training. Yeah, here. it's difficult to do. I think that the way you really get around it is instead of going with the pause word, just pause. And like, because here's the thing, right? If you're editing something later and you use a pause word, it's very hard to chop it in such a way that like it feels smooth. Like chop out that pause word. But if you just stop talking, it is. Uh, you can it is very hard. take that silence and crunch it together, um, which makes things a little bit better. That's okay. True. Cool. Um, so, I guess where we go next with this is what do you envision the U.S.'s foreign policy role is in the Middle East in like thirty years? Like, if you were given dictatorial power over U.S. foreign policy, how how do you how would it go? I would say working with allies in the region. Now, I know Russia isn't necessarily an ally, but in some regions, they could be, like eliminating ISIS in Syria. We could have worked with them a lot better in that situation. Don't they indiscriminately bomb civilians and shit, though? Doesn't the U.S. do the same thing in Yemen? Absolutely so, not. So we Absolutely. sell we sell the weapons to the yeah. Saudis. And we probably shouldn't do that. That's probably be bad. But like, and the, they United indiscriminately States bomb everyone. Does not indiscriminately bomb civilians. We shouldn't. There's a big difference between selling weapons to somebody and then misusing them, and the United and like making a claim that the United States indiscriminately bonds civilians. Not gonna let you slide on that one. The U.S. does not do that. You don't have to let me slide on it, but when yeah. the U.S. knows what's happening and they're still selling these weapons, yeah, I disagree to with that policy. Saudi Arabia, that is just as good as doing it yourself. No, it's not. You can you can say that all you yeah. want. I I I am in full belief, especially that since like uh, we, we know what's going on in Yemen. It's it's been reported on for years and years so why is the u.s allowing a radical regime to bomb innocent people well the obama administration significantly limited shipments of weapons to the saudis and told them you know you need to clean up your act and the way you're acting in in yemen if you want to uh continue receiving u.s aid in that conflict and then the trump administration came in and reversed that sold them a shitload of money because he thinks that it's like a like a fucking he treats you know trading weapons like it's some sort of uh you know it's not for U.S. interests, it's so like U.S. weapons manufacturers can make a shitload of money, and that's not you know a, a good way of going about it. But like the Obama administration took significant steps to limit um, what was being sold to the Saudis during the war in Yemen, uh, even though it is in the U.S. security interests to f- combat Iranian proxies in that area, you know, which the Houthi rebels were. Um, and you know, like being in Yemen sucks. Like it would suck to be there. Like I don't think the U.S. should get more involved in that particular shit show, because I think that. You know, we're already spreading ourselves probably a little too thin in that in the in that in the region as things stand. Um, but like to make the argument that like 
the U.S. has a policy of like indiscriminately bombing civilians because we armed an ally and then the ally misused the weapons. Like, are we are we responsible for the like the Turks going in and indiscriminately bombing the Kurds because they're a NATO ally and they went in there? Like, what about when like the French use an F-15 and they accidentally bomb a civilian? Is that our fault too? I, I think it wouldn't have been our fault if. The U.S. would have, under Trump, I, I'm not making an Obama or a Trump argument here. I'm making an argument to say the United States government and the military, military industrial complex knows what's going on. They've known for years what's going on in Yemen mm-hmm. in order to continue the policy of giving them these kinds of weapons is evil, just plain evil. So you're basically making a moral argument. So you're, are you, what are you saying is that a, a Houthi-run Shiite government on the on the border of one of our allies would be better than arming the Saudis. Like no, the civilians, I've... the civilians' lives would be better off. Like if they were underneath the Houthis, they would they would they would experience less death. They would probably experience less death than just completely bombing. So this is like a utilitarian argument. This this argument is like you said a moral argument and an argument that is. To keep, it's a civil war that they're getting involved in. Right? No, it's it's not quite a civil war, right? So the Houthis are backed entirely by the Iranians, right? And the Iranians are looking to destabilize the region because they have both an ideological reason to do that and geopolitical reasons to do that. First, right. they want to be the premier power in the region. They want to be the hegemon of the region. This is not a secret, right? Um, they basically view Shia Islam as the right way to go. And, you know, anybody that's not a Shia, they sort of aren't super duper fans of. Um, Yemen has basically been a proxy of the Saudis ever since their, you know, inception. And the Iranians backed, armed, and instigated a, uh, you know, the, the Houthi rebels there to you know, rise up against the government. And they were very successful in doing that. Um, so it's like not a straight civil war. It's not like quite that simple. It's not as a, like the Syrian situation is similar to some degree, but there are other factors with the Syrian civilization or Syrian civil conflict that are quite different. Um, so there is like a, a U.S. adversary involved in, in the Yemen conflict. It's not quite as simple as oh, right in like in Iran, who's who's funding proxies. Just yep. but that that's the argument in Syria. Also, is is this is this Iranian, Syrian, Russian kind of dominance of the region if we would, if, if the United States were to leave. Well, it's already the Middle East. Right. So we, we ceded one foot of ground in the Middle East and the Russians immediately rushed in, uh, no pun intended, to right, but fill that void. Whose fault is that in the first place? Our destabilization of Iraq and taking Saddam Hussein uh, out of his position of leadership. Iraq oh, so you, was the think, counterbalance to Iran in the Middle think, East. You think that if Iraq were, if Saddam Hussein were still in power, that the Syrian civil war wouldn't happen right now? No, I'm saying they would have been a counterbalance to Iran's power at the very least. It happened throughout the years when isn't, Saddam was in power. Isn't great power competition like super bad? Like, I'm not making an argument for the Iraq war. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, we fucked up very badly with Iraq, especially with the rebuilding process. Like, but but that's, that's, that's just it. It's, that's the whole thing is where they tried to do it again in Syria. And if you let them do it again, how are we, do do it again, it again how are we trying else? to do it again in Syria? Our policy they, in Syria is significantly it, different. We never put boots on the ground, even though, like, we had a much greater reason to put boots on the ground in Syria than we ever did the, in Iraq. The policy of nation building and trying to take leaders out of power and destabilizing countries. How are we trying to take this leader out of power? All we're doing is funding Bashar al Assad, yeah. ever since 2011, they've been trying to get Bashar yeah, al Assad out of power. 
Right. Yeah. Like, but here, how is that like? You're like because it's going to end up being apples to, apples to oranges comparison, right? Like, so basically, your argument is we took Saddam out, right? So if we take Bashar al-Assad out, right, we'll be in the exact same situation and that will be bad, right? And, but like, this is two totally different situations. We're talking about comparing a full commitment of US troops and invasion and occupation and a rebuilding of their, their government and institutions from the ground up to there is a, a dictator in the Middle East who is gassing his citizens and maybe we should fund the people who are fighting him. Okay. I, I, if you want a similar situation, we can go with Libya, where Gaddafi was dethroned, and now there's free slave trade in Libya. So yeah, Libya is a complete disaster area. Yeah, right. but like, is that there it? were birds on the ground there. That that was a that was a funded event. So sure. Yeah, yeah we absolutely funded the people who would eventually pull him from power. There's no reason to believe that he would have been able to retain power without. Um, uh, with or without our help, right? You know, he he, he not just a, not just these rebel group were, were rebelling against him. His own military ended up rebelling against him, right? Like Gaddafi was leaving one way or the other, right? The United States tried to intervene there, but probably the issue there was not um, that we intervened, but that like we were not nearly forceful enough with attempting to stabilize the situation. And like we probably should, probably should have intervened significantly. Probably should more. intervene some more. Yeah, like so, there, there's no reliable partner on the ground in Libya, right? So in, in Syria, you have the Kurds, you have relative moderate Islamist groups, right, that you can work with. Um, who like the Kurdish region of Syria is significantly more stable than any these, areas. These, these moderate, was. these moderate is Islamist groups that are in Syria are not very moderate. I love this term, moderate. Okay, moderate like rebels. a. These these are the guys that like that, Islamism that CNN, is. It's, it it's relative. It's a relative term. These are the kind of people they, they CNN will count as civilians, and that fight hand in hand with the same people in Iraq. This is how ISIS ends up get, getting weapons from the U.S. Trey. These people work hand in hand with each other. Uh, we're getting so far off where we actually need to be. I don't think it's far off because no, uh, no, it's like so. Like if we get if we get down this road, right, we're not going to be talking about U.S. policy. We're going to be talking about like what qualifies something to be a, like a moderate Islamist, and what isn't a moderate Islamist. Which groups are like working with ISIS? Which groups aren't working with ISIS? Right? Like, um, it, well, it, if there's any, it, it'll become if such there's a no like, clarity. Then don't fund them. <laughs> right. Don't, so okay, so whoa, whoa, whoa. like. Let's take the, the moderate Islamist groups, let's take them off the table because like the Obama administration's attempt to fund them, we spent like millions of dollars and basically didn't get anybody trained or equipped, right? Besides, besides ISIS, because they no. got our weapons. No, they got our weapons when the Iraqi army fled. That's right? another so Iraqi army of them getting our not, weapons. These guys have been prepared, seen right, in pictures to... holding up the same flag, that green flag, and then, and then the ISIS flag. All right. So what? How do? All right. So should we have left the Iraq well, after we invaded Iraq? So let's just like say the invasion of Iraq is inevitable. We had to invade Iraq. It happened. It took okay. okay what should we have done then at that point? Should we have not trained and armed their military so they could defend themselves and protect themselves from threats like ISIS? No, no. You're exactly right. We we should have trained them. So, but but, that, but it's also our fault that like behind. oh we so we take the guns back. We train them, but we don't give them any guns. We destroyed I, their military. All their military capability. Look. I see what you're saying, but the withdrawal was hasty, like like we're saying. So there was another factor there. So we hastily withdrew and then yeah, left absolutely. all of our weapons. And then that left a huge power back. Well, no, 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 no. 
the weapons that the Iraqi army had, we gave to them. It's not like we left it behind on accident. But right? that's not the only instance of the U.S. leaving weapons behind or sure, weapons yeah. going, going into ISIS's hands. A lot of the weapons like, got but, into ISIS's hands by giving them to the moderate like, rebels and training the moderate does rebels. It, does it make if they're using an AK-47 that they purchase off the black market or if they're using, you know, like an American AR-15? Like, the what difference, difference is it it's make? American. We, we gave it to them. That's, that's we didn't the give it to them. It gave it in their hands, right? Like, like what, what is your point, that, right? But th that the same thing happened. When like, we, do you think their war fighting capability is significantly better because they have access to, like, a, a slightly different assault rifle than they would otherwise? No, it's not better. It's long enough to keep the U.S. in the Middle East indefinitely. And that's the whole issue. We funded the Mujahideen to take care of the Russians, and they used those weapons against us in the Gulf War. It's, yeah. it's, it's history repeating itself. That's all it is. And it's never going to stop unless the U.S. has a good plan to get out. Okay, so what, what do you envision after the U.S. gets out will happen? I envision not spending one point. Three trillion dollars in the Middle East, bringing that money home here, spending it cool. on other things like maybe, uh, you know, not to get into it, but like like a lot of Democrats want healthcare or college, use it on other things. Stop spending so much money on foreign aid and foreign interventionists. Cool. All right. So I'm going to throw a hypothetical scenario at you. The United States withdrawals successfully from the Middle East in, in the most successful like <sighs> way, because like like this is like such an irritating argument that we'll just take all take our money and leave and go home and then spend it on other stuff, right? So. The United States leaves the Middle East, right? We leave in it, what like, year? Tw tw uh, let's say, let's say, like, we, are we, we leaving leave in 2400. We leave in our lifetime, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we leave. All right. Okay. I, I doubt it, but I doubt uh, it. I and I doubt, doubt it would it. be a good idea to do it. But uh, let's say we leave in like 2040, right? So like we wrap up our commitments. Like Afghanistan and uh, Iraq are relatively stable. The Syrian conflict has died down. Yemen has like the legitimate government has returned to power in Yemen, just like a dream scenario, right? Like we have our, our dream scenario. The U.S. packs up all its military bases in the region, takes all of its equipment, m picks up its shit and goes home. The U.S. carrier group in the Gulf of Tonkin gets up and leaves. Like everybody just fucking dips, right? What do you think happens next? First, if we're talking about our lifetime, I think there are a lot of power vacuums in the region that will automatically happen. So we have to ask who is going to fill those first, right? And immediately when the, when the U.S. took their troops out from the Syrian situation, I guess I'll look at that first, the, the mm -hmm. Kurds and the Turkish. So the Kurds went, hightailed it and they said, hey, Assad, will you help us out um, to, fight, to fight the Turks? Because if not, we're going to all die. So the Russians and the Syrians... Uh, nope. Form, form some sort of the Russians, Russians are helping the Turks, with the northern the Russians in Turkey cooperated in order to more or less annex that portion of the region and he's going to take millions of Syrian refugees that fled the conflict and put them there put them there That's right his plan yeah uh, but Russia's working with Syria in the region also or there, Russia is working with Syria but not on this particular issue Syria does not want to cede its territory to Turkey I promise you that they no, are no, no, the no, no, I there. think I think I think we're I thought we were yeah. saying that so the same thing. So Russia is is helping Syria, you know, defend that region because they don't want to see that 30, what, 30 some odd miles into the Syrian border basically become a refugee territory. The Russians are helping Turkey set all of that up. They have set up a, an agreement to where Russia will be able to basically extract the oil and Turkey will be able to sit the Syrian refugees there. 
Okay. But yeah. they're not helping uh, Turkey basically kill all the Kurds. No, they saying. aren't helping Turkey kill all the Kurds, but they're not going to get in the way. But the Kurds saying. have basically left at this point, right, and dipped right. because they know staying there and trying to defend that at this point is, good, is, a, is a loser's proposition, right? Right. Um, so, so that's all I was saying. So I was saying that the Kurds are not being attacked by Russia in that point, and they are looking yeah. for the Assad for help. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess um, Russia is having nothing to do with helping Assad with the Kurds. Uh, that's something I'll have to look more into. But, yeah, I mean, he's not particularly interested in the Kurds. Like Putin, I mean, when I say Russia, it's really Putin, right? Putin right. doesn't care about the Kurds, right? Like no. he doesn't. This is he's not like this is sort of Assad's problem, and he's probably not going to be very involved in it. We don't. We won't know the level of Russian involvement with like the relocation of the Kurds until it's taken care of. But like, it's not good to see to like that territory to like Russian influence, and and worse still that Turkey will be cooperating, a NATO ally will be cooperating with the Russians and like securing energy. Okay. Like, for, well, for the for like well, the more power that the the Russians accrue is it's not a good thing, right? Here is where I'm gonna make you mad. Mm-hmm. Let Russia take it. Okay. Just let Russia take the land in Syria, and let them fill that particular power vacuum. All right. Where does that stop, though? I I see where you know. I I don't know that that is some some answer that. We'll have to see play out if the U.S. if the U.S. leaves. But in all honesty, the Russians can take the whole Middle East. I do not care. Okay. Um, do you know what the Strait of Hormuz is? I do. I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with the trading that goes on throughout. Okay. So the Strait of Hormuz is the single most important tra- uh, sea-based trade route in the entire world. It's located right next to Iran. And it's right there in the Middle East. You can go look it up right now. Roughly speaking, 35 to 40% of all the oil that is traded on the entire planet goes through that strait. Right. Imagine the US, this U.S. withdrawal, this fantastical, would never happen in a million years this way, m- mystical magic withdrawal, where we have completely vacated the region, right? Um, You'll have great powers, probably the Chinese and the Russians, maybe Europeans as well, try to come in and, and fill that power vacuum. So that's immediately going to lead to an increase in conflict, which we will have no control of the outcome over, right? Um, and it's very, very possible that the Iranians will s- completely seize the Strait of Hormuz once the U.S. has abdicated. Let me like, look at, let me get an idea of where this is geographically. Yep. Because yep. in a perfect world, in a perfect world, you would hope if you're going to withdraw like this, like there like are alternative routes, about, but like there are, there would be problems with setting them up, right? Right. And this is right by Iran, and it goes yeah. throughout Pac- Pakistan, Iran, the UAE, Qatar, Saudi Arabia. Like there are many countries that re- rely on this and rely on everybody sort of right. like playing nice in this area in order to. Uh, prop up their economies in order to um, ensure that they can continue to function as like a relatively successful societies and, you know, for their sovereignty and stuff. And like, if the Iranians were to, you know, basically clamp down on the Strait of Hormuz, you would see 
global financial markets take a complete shit on themselves, right? Because 40% of the world's energy is suddenly held up by the Iranians and they can do whatever the fuck they want at that point. They can make any demand that they want of any country in the world and they would have to capitulate if they want access to that oil or if they want access to that region. So you now have given the Iranians, right, complete and total free reign over the entire region. And the Iranians who, by the way, want to destroy one of our only allies in the region, Israel, and are at odds with one of our only other allies in the region, Saudi Arabia. When has Israel launched a war against, or when has Iran launched any kind of offensive against any of these countries? Which Iran they, they, is also our fault in the, the first Iranians place. The CIA ousted, uh, ousted the government in, back in well, the- Well, the CIA and the British, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And, yeah. and install the Shah, install the Shah in Iran. Yep. So super, that, that's another that's a that's another bad move because of U.S. interventionism. Super, I, you're not going to hear me defend right like toppling regimes right that are more or less just chillaxing and pursuing their own national interests right. That's like good. I am not a fa a fan of like going into Saudi Arabia and kicking you know this goober out, even though I don't particularly like him right. And I am not a fan of going into Iran and kicking you know toppling that regime either, even though there's probably more reason to do that than anything else in the region. Right. Well, with that being said, I think we're more on the same page. Than, right. Yeah. So I think we're I not. <laughs> I really think we're not. I, I because think like you're in some, some places. You're more or less like advocating for a complete like U.S. withdrawal from this from the region, right? And allowing the Iranians to become the de facto hegemon of the single most important region outside of South, South China uh, and Southeast Asia, right? In the entire world. Okay, maybe we're not on the same page. That's yeah. Funny. Look. As far as the Strait of Hormuz goes, what happens if Iran does maintain complete control? All the global markets go down, you say. Good, yeah. It, well, what Could will happen down. is they will be able to use that as a threat. Uh, they, it's very unlikely they would actually shut it down, right? Um, because it would hurt them along with everyone else. Uh, okay. But the threat of shutting it down will be enough for them to, you know, they could go out, go around the region basically doing whatever the hell they want, which they do a lot of that now anyways, that they're asymmetric warfare, but they can be much more bold about it than they currently are. And basically nobody's going to look sideways at them because if they, you know, significantly um, hinder the movement of oil through that strait, you will see very, very serious problems very, very quickly. So Saudi Arabia is basically the United States' single counterbalance right there in that immediate region. Correct. That's why the Saudis are so important. That's why we sort of let them get away with, you know, like horrific shit. I'll be honest, at this moment, I don't have an answer for you in this particular situation. Right. And this is like sort of my problem with like the entire libertarian position on this, right? Is that we'll just pick up our shit and leave is a fucking horrible idea. And anybody that has like seriously studied this region at all for more than like two hours can tell you that. I mean, so the U.S. does leave. How, how much does this actually hurt U.S. interest right here? With, you know, does Iran completely shut the Strait of Hormuz down? Well, that's, but that's that's. that's 
how much does it hurt U.S. You said interest? it even said it, it might, they might not do it because it would be against their own interests and mm. interests of other nations in the region. So, like, the Iranians are actually quite unique in the region in that they have a diversified economy. Most of these states are mineral states, right? That's why, like, Iran is one of the nations where we have, like, slowly prodded them through diplomatic means, like the Obama administration has, to sort of shape up and change their behavior because they actually have, like, something resembling a middle class. There are political pressures on the regime to, you know, do certain things. Right. So, 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 so why not? Why not try to work with the Iranians? And, we we and have tried Syria. that. Yeah, we're absolutely. We are continuing to try that. Yeah, we're and, we're. But we don't want them to fund uh, like asymmetrical warfare and stuff and like Hezbollah, sanctions on them. Hezbollah, yeah, they they just don't like yeah. really listen. Uh, is sort of our problem, right? We got them to listen, but like it's going to be even harder going forward because like the one time we actually got on the same page with the Iranians and got something done that was like significant, um, the next administration came in and shat all over it. The uh jcpoa yeah. yeah the jcpoa is uh it's a what happened with that is an absolute disaster for our relations with that country going forward but you know what, what are you going to do about that that's sort of beside the right. point right? and so that's kind of my point um you withdraw and you have to be diplomatic about the situation like reopening the jcpoa or you know lifting sanctions off off some of these you some have of these to have nations. a lot of faith in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Iran, Kuwait, the Qatar, all of those people that are on, or even Iraq, to continue to operate. Right. right, and that's 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 kind of the argument is saying these other countries who the U.S. has been involved with for decades now, it, you have to let them, as as harsh as it is, work it out by themselves. This is a regional issue and, and regional resources. They, they need to but this is a, We're in a globalized economy. It's not a regional issue. If you have the Iranians and the Saudi Arabians fighting one another, like in an open conflict, because the United States isn't there to like either threaten or threaten, you know, basically to eliminate one country or the other, which is really what we do with the Iranians. It's like if you actually get in an open conflict in this region, we will wipe you off the face of the earth is more or less our policy towards them, which is probably why they don't like us very much. Um, right. It's a great, great policy to have if you're the world's police. Right. And there is a role for the United States in that region. And that policy is very, very important to maintaining this flow of resources from that region because the flow of resources from that region power the entire world economy. Oil. Yeah, absolutely. The oil is super important. Let's like let's not lie to ourselves and pretend like the, that there's a reason that we're there. Like like yes, like we want to promote democracy, we want to promote stability in the region. But the reason that like we care about that there, we don't give a fuck about that in like South America, right, is because there's no fucking resources that we need out of South America and the global economy, right? I, I you let these nations work it out themselves. They're going to work it out to where the economy will what about benefit in the everyone in the in the region. The if it's been what a, makes you think that though? Because if you're expending all these resources everywhere else and you're not letting the people of these nations, you know, complain to their governments saying, "Hey, all you know, the king of Saudi Arabia is taking all this money and, and the citizens aren't getting anything." I I don't know how the you know uh, equality distribute or the distribution of you know monetary value in saudi arabia i don't know what that saudi is saudi arabia is an incredibly oppressive authoritarian regime right so so we know the king has so much money so many resources and it, uh, the people of saudi arabia probably have 
no more than what the people in Iran do. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, about well, it depends. Right. If you're a Saudi citizen, you basically live a life of luxury and don't have to work, right? If you're like a, if you're somebody from outside of the country, like you know, you work a, a regular, regular job and stuff. So, so it's not as bad as a lot of the nations in the region. I mean, it's awful. Yeah, it'd be awful to live there. You wouldn't want to live there. Uh, as like, far uh, as like in poverty, like. As far as poverty, yeah, depends. I'd have to look, right? So, like, poverty, Saudi Arabia. Um, let's look it up real quick. There's no reason. Yeah, there's no reason not to. Um, Compared to like other Middle Eastern, you know, countries. Genie. Um, so they have a, a, a medium level of inequality. Uh, so Gini coefficient of 45.9. Uh, they're 18th in world GDP. Um, what about, you know, uh, revenues expenses. I mean, the, their metrics look good for. Just because they have so much oil. Yeah. I mean, it's a mineral state, right? So like one thing that we know about mineral states is that once the mineral becomes less valuable, um, you know, that they sort of have problems if they haven't diversified their economy. And that's so, another problem with the So Saudis. there could be like a climate change argument in there. Also, you know, moving your economies to more. Yeah, I mean, economies. like, here's one thing, right? Like you can definitely have a more serious conversation about leaving the Middle East the moment you've solved the U.S.'s, the, like the world's energy needs and gotten us off of oil, right? Because right. a lot of the power that these countries have over the world right comes from the fact that they produce so much of the world's oil while the u.s may now be because of fracking the world's leading oil producer um you know it's still again 30 to 35 to 40 percent of all the oil is coming right through that straight right it's still the reason why the united states is there which yeah, which overall like regional interest it overall when you're talking about war and just what war is if it's if you're in a region just because of resources that that is not that is not where you want to be on a moral argument standpoint. You, Why not? You, because you are killing innocent people for oil, basically. What do you think you're, would you're happen if the oil stopped flowing? If the oil stopped flowing? Yeah, 35 to 40% of the world's oil stopped tomorrow. Well, first of all, I don't think the U.S. would be there. And second off, I think these countries would have a hard time trying to prop themselves up. No, no, no. As, what do you think would happen to people? To people there? No. Oh, and the entire world, if 35 to 40 percent of the world's oil disappeared. I think the world would probably be forced to solve the oil crisis, and then the immediate answer is alternative energy sources. Energy Whoa, sources. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you right? think that we'd be able to, like, if, if tomorrow 35 to 40 percent of the oil goes away, right, because of U.S. withdrawal from the region, like, that we would be able to deal with that? I think it would be an immediate crisis, right? Like, like you're, like you're hinting at. Do you think but, that people would, do you think that people would like die? Yeah, people would die, but are more people going to die in bombs or more? People Absolutely more people would die as a result of this. So I, I can't tell you the numbers on that. I can't like, tell you. Well, there's, a, there's, what? there are no numbers, right. That you can turn to, right. But like, you're talking about a relatively sparsely populated region of the world in the Middle East, where the U.S. actions and, and deaths caused by U.S. troops is relatively limited today compared to, you know, a decade ago when actually
action in Afghanistan and Iraq was significantly more, we had more involvement there, right? Like you cannot possibly like make that argument that like the United States uh, withdrawal from the region and the, the limited ways in which we're engaged now would result uh, in fewer deaths overall worldwide. Like it would result in many, many, many more How many deaths overall has there been? since the United States has been involved in the Middle East. Uh, U.S. cause, casualties. And no, I don't want U.S. cause. I want... Well, no, we're talking about U.S. involvement, so I absolutely want U.S. cause. Uh, but that's not going to count who the U.S. funds. It's well, not gonna... the... Yeah, absolutely. I, want, I would not... It's not going to count the deaths of people in Yemen. No, so it'll have, like, there's probably got, like, a direct deaths, right? And then there's probably, like, an ancillary death, right? Um... So the best estimate, right? Right, there is estimates. Uh, the best estimate starting in October of 2001, so since the war on terror began, is between 480 and 507,000 people. Right, and some estimates go significantly higher than that. Yeah, and the, and of those, right? Um, well, this is uh, from a paper on uh, from the Watson Institute, International Public Affairs at Brown University. So, like, I'm going to trust this probably over, like, I know there's that website that like counts the number of dead. Iraqis or whatever. Um, I think that's probably not very reliable. Um, like the overwhelming majority of these, right, um, come out of Iraq. Like if you right. take and pull Iraq out, because Iraq was such a shit show, like uh, the, the death total is like cut in half almost immediately. Um, so you know, like, the, we're not, like, you're not, like, like by saying, oh, well, look how many have died since, you know, like, you're including, like, a full-scale invasion, right? Like, uh, if you pull that number out, and if you pull Afghanistan out, it gets even lower, right? It's, like, right, but well, why would I want to pull those out? Those are whoa, 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 excellent whoa. examples. Excellent examples of, of invasions, absolutely, but, like, your argument is not against invasions. Your argument is against all involvement. All involvement, including invasions. All involvement, including invasions, right? Like so, but like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like if if I'm not going to count the time that the U.S. But here's full the thing: like your whole fucking argument falls apart falls apart the minute you take away like the serious misadventures, right? Like I'm not a proponent of like invading Iraq, right? Afghanistan Libya is not really... a serious intervention. That shit just happened, and now there's slave trade there. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Do you think that that like that, that situation like you're like you get to this is such an obnoxious yeah, thing yeah, to do with we actually. Came, so, we saw he died. That's that's. Do you think Directly. that that situation would have been like significantly different had we not become involved? There's no way to tell, and I'm not going to argue the ifs. We right. Were okay. Involved. But you no. Know, but here you're making this causal relationship between the the situation deteriorating and the U.S. becoming involved. And then and then we can talk about Iran. Like you have, and then you we have can no talk about grounds Syria, for that. And then we can talk about Iran yeah. and how that is now after the CIA and the British and place the Shah in it was a much better place before we got involved there are just so many instances okay dude but like that's like actually not the argument that like we're trying to have right like the like what you want to argue no, is no that, like, the, the argument US is is, is the argument is historically every time the U.S. has gotten involved in the Middle East it has backfired really terribly every single time give, give me one where it hasn't <sighs> I mean, I think that you can make a pretty strong argument that, like, the Saudis are pretty happy about our involvement in the Middle East. I think that, like... <laughs> yeah, they are. They're I killing think the a Israelis, bunch of folks in Yemen. The Israelis probably don't get to exist without U.S. involvement in the Middle East. 
No, they don't. The, US uh, is, we're the, the Iraqi, ones that put them there. The Iraqi state, as it stands now, right, would absolutely collapse without U.S. aid. Like, is that like is this like an actual argument? But, but is really it think- is it better than we? Is it better now than it was back in two thousand three when we invaded in Iraq? Is life better now and than it was in 2003? I mean, I don't know. That's like sort of like, it's sort of hard to say whether or not things are better or worse. Like, would you rather live in Iraq today or would you live in Iraq in 2003? I personally would probably rather live in Iraq today where you have like inclusive institutions and uh, you know you have like a semi-functioning, if not high-functioning democracy, right? Um, as opposed to like having to live under Saddam Hussein, where like uh, if you ever say anything bad against the Baathist party, they take you and torture you. Like I don't know, dude. Like are you yeah, having to live against, under S- Saddam Hussein, who would like gas people all, all the fucking time? Like, are you really gonna make an argument that like things are better with because like right back then I, as opposed I'll, to I'll, now? Yes, like, yeah, I'll make the argument because as soon as the U.S. leaves, these institutions crumble apart because there's no foundation. Yeah, absolutely. When you like, this is the big problem with like withdrawal, right? Is that when you break it, you buy it, and we. No, we, the big problem is interventionism because we should have been there in the first place. Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. We should have been in Iraq in the first place. Like so, so now we have caused a problem. But here's the that thing: we have to about stay there indefinitely. We can't. We cannot leave. Yes, we have to. You're absolutely right. We have to stay there indefinitely. We made poor policy. Poor policy mistakes. Right. So, so yes, yes, we made it. We did it. I won the argument. Like no, no. no. You, if your argument is you want to stay there indefinitely, that's fine. If there's no goal of ever leaving and just being in perpetual war and in this war economy, sure, you can win the argument. Like, but well, no, you, but we like the alternatives, the alternatives to leaving, right, as things stand now, as the situation stands now, the alternatives to leaving would be disastrous for the global economy. It would be disastrous for civilians in the region. It would be disastrous for our allies in the region. It would be disastrous for Europe because as these states fucking collapse, we know exactly where they go. They immediately begin migrating into Europe and they have to deal with a massive migration crisis, the worst since the Second World War. When because we bomb the shit out of their countries and they have nowhere to go. They whoa, just whoa, whoa. literally have nowhere to go. Like, do you think the Syrian civil war was like entirely caused by like the United States? No, but it was prolonged because of the United States. The, Hang on. The Syrians and the Russians would have swept away with all of ISIS and moderate rebels if the United States was not involved perpetuating this war. Okay. Until the Sycamore uh, Timber Sycamore Program, right, which is the, the program that started at the end of the Obama administration, went into the Trump administration. They recently discontinued it, right? Right. Our, our plan of, like, getting weapons into the hands of, like, moderate Islamists and training them was a fucking disaster. It did not work at all. Like, very rarely did the weapons get to their hands. They would either be destroyed or they would be captured by Assad or the or ISIS or some shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was an absolute, like, we did not prolong that conflict, right? Like, all we did was, like, waste a shitload of money like we're not talking about like drone strikes. Like we're not talking about significant U.S. involvement in the in the area. Like the most involved we've been is with the protection of the Kurds, which has been a massive success. Right. Well, we see how much effect very little U.S. troops have in the region. Wait, I mean, wait hang about, on. Do you really? Are you like I? This is what the most aggra- aggravating thing, right? Is like you proposed like that there's some sort of causal relationship between like the length of a conflict and U.S. involvement. Like, do you really think that like? Syria would have just like whooped the ass of everybody there. I think that our involvement in Iraq can show you that. 
Well, okay, do you think Syria and Russia would have just whooped the ass of there? I think that, like, you can just look at our involvement in Iraq and see how effective asymmetrical warfare tactics can be against well, I mean, a determined opponent. Well, I mean, if you, if you want to say that, I mean, why didn't the U.S. help Russia and, and Assad get rid of ISIS? Because Assad is gassing his civilians, and the U.S. doesn't fucking do that. Like, we don't help people who gas their civilians. Look, I, there, there are a lot of dictators that the United States has worked with in the past to stabilize their region. And I think, like, like the U.S. worked with, with Stalin a long time ago, right? That these are policies that, that are better for the region. If, if states can prop and up their own economies. if a few children get gassed, who cares? <laughs> I mean, there's the same moral argument on your side with, with Yemen and many people dying over there. So I, the whole Assad gassing thing is coming straight from the CIA. There are a lot of it. There are a few investigations. Oh my that God! Here we go. This is just that. conspiracy theory. There's absolutely zero evidence to back this up. It's, it's not just the CIA. There's... We have we have UN we have UN investigators who've who've confirmed that it was that. We have people on the ground who've confirmed that it was. It's not like some CIA plot to just like. Are you talking about the time the U.S. blew up the suspected area when the UN was about to go inspect it? There, there's a few times here where it could have gone either way. Like, I'm, not they're, they're, the, I'm not talking about the first theory. time. I'm not talking about the first. Like, time. we have multiple different, like, confirmed cases of him gassing his own people. Like, like, are you actually making a defense of him gassing his own people as this, better than, like, This is like, why I didn't want to get into this, involvement? because the, if you look into Robert Fisk, he's a Middle East correspondent. He has been on the ground. He is a reporter in Syria. He was there with doctors healing people healing women and children from one of these supposed chemical attacks. These weren't chemical attacks. A lot of, a lot of the moderate rebels snuck these kids and children into very tight spaces, and they were basically asphyxiated. If, if they were chemically attacked in the one instance where there was video evidence, then they, they would have been foaming at the mouths or not being able to breathe. At, at the hospital, there's video evidence of them covered in, you know, dust okay. and stuff but actually breathing this this is not like the, Here the are, second the second instance that the u.s and the cia pushed saying it was a chemical attack and then when how they, many when oh wait they, how many times do you think he's gassed them his own people uh, the two main instances that we're talking about the one um where it was years ago and i i don't i don't uh, remember what the u.n said about that i know it was it was bad for Assad and bad for me as well. I'll give you that. But I think there, I think there are conflicting instances of this where it's enough to say, hey, maybe after we told him to stop, he did, and then we're trying to push, push this because the empirical evidence of the second one kind of says that the U.S. is involved in some mis or yeah misinformation, like they bombed the the place where the U.N. was about to go investigate. That's kind of like a red herring to me. That's kind of like saying, um, I already cleaned it up for you. You don't need to go check it out. Okay. So I am seeing, let's see, where's the main article here? At least four or five dozen instances of chemical attacks being used. St dating all the way back to uh, 
October of 2012 and the most recent one being November uh, 2018, where we've had people from the, like, it's been confirmed by dozens of groups, uh, UN, the government of France, uh, the government of France, UK and Qatar, the government of UK and Qatar, um, like uh, the US government, the government of the UK, reported by the government of the UK and France, allegedly some of the hand grenade type munitions contain tear gas where other grenades were filled with sarin gas. Uh, French in 2017 report, Hexamine was president of the sarin used in Sarakib, linking to it to the Syrian regime, later attacks in Bhutan Khan Shakon. The sarin present in the munitions used on 4th of April was produced using the same manufacturing process as that used in the sarin attack perpetrated by the regime in Sarakib. Moreover, the presence of Hexamine indicates that this manufacturing process is that developed by the scientific studies and research center of the Syrian regime. There is absolutely no question at all that they have repeatedly on dozens of occasions used both chemical attacks in there with their ground troops leading and chemical attacks from the air against their own civilians over and over again. I'm, will you send me those articles? Yeah, sure. I'll get you a couple of links. Hang on. Yeah, because I'm not going to trust what the, what the CIA and and you know these different governments are saying obviously i'm going to look at evidence on the ground because these are the same governments who confirmed our iraq had weapons of mass destruction in 2003 the basis for our whole invasion yep that's why i have stuff like from the opcw uh and their fact-finding mission where they went and and you know confirmed a lot of these and I'm, um, I'm not arguing that he has never used that he's never used the chemical weapons. I, oh, I'm how saying, many like chemical weapon attacks are you willing to tolerate? It's it's the same argument though on your side because you're bombing people too. It's like it's, it's the same. People are dying. I, okay. People Here's are dying thing, either right? way. I don't support and like let's make this hundred percent clear: the U.S. selling arms to Saudi Arabia while they continue to use them against civilians in Yemen. I don't support that. I think that is a bad policy. I think it is bad for the United States to do that. Okay. Have we gotten that out of the way? Great. Now, can you actually take the time to defend like the fact that you are saying that it would be better for a regime that gases its own civilians to be in power versus like practically any other alternative? They're, whenever you say civilians, they're not just gassing their own civilians just to gas their civilians. They're gassing people uh, like ISIS moderate rebels who the United States is supporting in the region? Like at this point, all right, ISIS has been degraded to the point to where there is like, like they're practically not existing. Right, at now this they're point, making a comeback point, because but of, we're talking about... Well, but here's the thing. About I'm everything. talking about like February 26th of 2018. They're gassing people. Are, so are they just hurting people and then gassing them or are they gassing them... 36 in, people died. In, ...in regions held... held by well, do you ISIS think it's ever or... appropriate to use a gas attack? No, but it's not appropriate to bomb anyone. So we're just kind of arguing what's the best way to well, die. Well, no, really. the reason that we use, uh, we say like we, we have specific laws against gas is because gas is in particularly inhumane, right? So like, whereas right, like, yeah. and the reason it's used, uh, like, they use gas in the first place, right, is because that has a demoralizing effect on your opponent, not because it's the most effective way to kill people, right? Like that, like there is going to be a time where you need to kill people, and there's going to be a time when so there are civilian casualties as a result of killing people. Like that is just like the way of the world. As long as there are, are people that like are willing to do shit like Assad is willing to do, there is going to be a time in which you're going to need to combat one another. Okay. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll live in a world where that doesn't happen, but like, I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Um, 
And like, also, by the way, the Russian state has come out and, and confirmed many of these gas attacks. God damn you, fucking pieces of Russian shit. I mean, fucking like, if, if, even, if even the Russians are fucking confirming that these, that these attacks are happening, like, I can't Shut believe... Up, Trey. I can't fucking believe <laughs> that, like, you're buying into this fucking conspiracy theory, dude, because that's what it is. Um, I, I, I will concede to you that Bashar al-Assad is a terrible person, okay? And gasses his citizens. I'll concede that to you, but I don't, I still don't think you can say, I'm not going to compare that to, to Yemen in this point, because I know you don't agree with it. I know that's not your favorite policy of the United States war sure. machine, but at the same time, it's still a comparable argument. It's, it's not though, because like here's the it, thing: it, right? it you're, you're arguing. Okay, so, I'm not arguing a position. Wait, of we should we let, should just let, be let me, arming let me, let me make Saudi Arabia. Like, okay. let, let me make my point. So, I, I understand you're not arguing that, but that is that is the policy of the United States, and and so if we're arguing what is inhumane, yeah, yeah, gassing people definitely inhumane, but also bombing weddings, bombing schools, bombing hospitals and school yep. buses, very inhumane, and the United States supports. A regime that does that. 100% so, agree. Uh, we shouldn't do that. Yep. Yeah. So, so we're on the same. That page is not there. an argument. There's that. That is not an argument against like ending all intervention in the Middle East. So, do you reason. stop funding Saudi Arabia that way? No. You basically tell them if they if they continue to like engage. So, in so this you behavior. don't stop no matter what Saudi Arabia does. You don't stop funding. They're an extremely important security partner in the region. There are U.S. interests on the line. So they bomb as many weddings and stuff as they want. No. You say if you continue to do this, there will be consequences. You can sanction them. You can um, stop the funding, stop sending the weapons to them, right? Like these That's are things what that I we could so, do. So They're not things we are doing, right? Like you know, but like you, you right. don't just immediately drag the weapons out of one of your most important security partners in the region. So stop sending them weapons, or keep sending them weapons. It, I mean, okay, so. When the when this was going on under the Obama administration, we stopped sending them weapons. Yeah, like more or less. Um, we like there were some weapons that we would give to them, and some weapons we wouldn't. Basically, if it would give them the ability to indiscriminately kill civilians, we wouldn't give it to them. Um, under the Trump administration, that policy changed. Right. I think that going back to the Obama administration's policy of continuing to give them the weapons they need to ensure security against states like Iran is great, but we shouldn't be giving them the weapons they need to like subjugate people who no longer or, or, or subjugate like the Houthis, right? And, and kill civilians indiscriminately. Um, like that's probably not a great idea. Right? There are ways, there is like a way that you can deal with this problem, right? Without just like alienating one of your closest security partners in the region. Okay. Um, so I think that like this argument that like, well, why are we fighting Assad but not fighting Saudi Arabia is like just, it's sort of an apples to oranges comparison, right? Like, why can't you compare fruit? Um, why can't you compare fruit? I mean, I don't know, man. Um, I guess like if, if the comparison is like both of these fruits suck, like sure. But like, that's like, you're, you're talking Fuck about- you, I love oranges. Like, I mean, I love both those fruit, but <laughs> um, you know, like I think that the argument here that we're trying to get to is it does, it does U.S. involvement, like, is a lack of U.S. involvement good or bad, right? Like, is, is this going to be something that is an improvement for U.S. security concerns? Is it going to be something that is improvement for regional concerns? Um, and is it something that is, is worth risking U.S. lives and treasure and money doing, right? 
uh, and, and does it make the the situation on the ground better or worse? Um, I think that the situation in Syria, if we did not uh, have a credible threat that we would handle the Syrian regime, that we would end up with significantly more gas attacks than we already have. And I think, honestly, we sort of blew it. And I think Obama blew it in Syria by not being more forceful with his like uh, countering of the Syrian regime with the gas. Because he said, basically, listen, we're not interested in getting involved in, in Syria. We're not interested in, in dealing with this stuff. But if you gas people, like that's our line. And then like he did it and like we kind of didn't do that much about it, right? right. Um, so like we saw the consequences, right, of, of the U.S not wanting to be involved and being shy about being involved in some of these conflicts. It's like dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people died in horrific gas attacks and like millions of people were displaced because like there is no safe place for them to go in their own country because like the U.S. wasn't involved in creating like that safe place. The U.S. Place wasn't and... boots to the ground involved. Right, like, absolutely. They've, they've like we, we pussyfooted around it. That's the problem in Syria is we pussyfooted around the problem and it got worse and worse because we pussyfooted around the problem. We're not going to agree. It's okay. Okay. What do you think would have happened without if the U.S. had become involved in Syria? Look like, at Iraq. Wait, wait, wait. The, the, the same thing would have happened as happened in Iraq. Probably even worse because Russia's biggest air force base in the Middle East is located in Syria. Mm. So the Russians get involved. To what extent, we don't know. There's a lot of deaths there if you put boots on the ground. What if we just did something like, all right, you know, we, we will, regardless of what happens here, we're going to agree to allow you to maintain this this air, uh, this air base and, and brought Russia in as a security partner, like right off the bat. And yeah, then sure. we, we started a, an immediate drone campaign where we um, worked with our, our allies on the ground, the Kurds, and just immediately just started destabilizing the... Uh, Syrians military ability to launch these attacks to um, hold territory they have you know and like you're not committing full US troops you're not invading the country right but like you're very serious about what you're going to do in the region right I, I don't think it would be possible to kick Russia out of that situation I'm not saying kick Russia out no, I no, literally work with them yeah I don't think it's possible to work with them there I don't think they would take that take that deal I mean maybe they won't right and then and then which case you have I mean to we've say, seen they won't that's that's why they're allies with Assad right now. They've been allies with Assad for years. I don't... Well, I think I, that, so, that I, part of that is our inability to communicate with the Russians, which has been a facet of U.S. foreign policy for a long time, but... Um, right? Let's assume they won't take it. Well, then you just... Uh, they're not going to risk a great power conflict over one military base. Especially if you have partner... Like, we would have... If we decided to intervene here, we would have had partners in Europe who, and, who were willing to help us. Like, the U.N. was more or less on board. Right. It was the U.S.'s reluctance to go in there that caused the, like that caused this war to spiral out of control. That caused but, millions of refugees. But ultimately, to who stays and ultimately who is leave it, the most leave involved? It. The U.S. The U.S. is always the the main. Sure, but I'm not talking there. about a boots on the ground situation, right? Like I think that like a policy. Oh, I thought you were. I'm sorry. I thought yeah. a policy option. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about a policy option where we're we're more involved, right? Like where we're not just sending funding and guns. We're we're using U.S. Uh, weapons platforms in Syria in order to. Uh, degrade the Assad regime's ability to launch these sorts of chemical attacks. Okay, well, um, Trump did try to bomb Syria not too like 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 a year ago, right? And the and the yeah. Russian, Russian slash Syrian like air air defense missiles pretty much took care of the job. Besides those missiles that reached that 
Yeah, so like basically that was like uh, like just flexing. We didn't actually accomplish anything. Uh, we fired a bunch of Tomahawks cruise missiles. It wasn't a bunch of flexing. Most of those missiles didn't hit their targets. Um, yeah, I mean, most missiles don't hit their target, my dude. If there's any sort of anti-air defense, like, the, the idea is that you get enough through that you're going to seriously degrade their damage, or degrade their damage, like, I think that point, here. the Syrians took that one as a win from... Yeah, because we, we sort of let them know ahead of time. Uh, we called the Russians and told them, hey, we're going to attack this area, because we knew that mm. there were Russian planes there, and if we injured or killed Russian military personnel, like, it's a serious problem. So it was just flexing, because they moved all the planes out of the way, and the, the air, the, uh, runway was... Had planes up in air, up in the air within a week. Makes sense. Uh, so thirty yeah. Russians. Yeah, if you if you tell your opponent that you're gonna, hey, we're gonna launch missiles here, prop, please don't like have your planes there when it gets there. Uh, it's you know you're basically firing missiles at a at a piece of concrete. Uh, it's not that hard to get that up and running again. You know, you fill it in, put some spackle right. there. It's fine. Um, right. So you know, like this, that's not like a serious action. I'm talking like. You have, um, you work with your allies in Saudi Arabia, you work with your allies in uh, Iraq, and you launch a, a drone campaign from, from those two areas, because we have the ability to do so, because we're involved in the region. So, so what is the main goal? There, the, you you de destabilize Assad. Yeah, the goal is to the, the goal there would be regime change, total regime change. Because if you don't have regime change and you don't have a quick and decisive end to this war with one with one winner and one loser, you're going to have a severely displaced population as people try to flee a horrific situation. And then that displaced population ends up in places in Europe, and then that causes like very severe like and dangerous situations in with the stability of stability of the European continent. Like uh, you have the rise of, of very far right figures in Europe, like uh, Marine Le Pen. Uh, you have Brexit. So like our, our closest partner in the world, probably the UK, is breaking away from our other closest partner in the EU. Um, and it's been an ongoing political catastrophe. And a lot of that was motivated and, and caused by a fear of immigrants from Syria and refugees from Syria coming into the UK and working because they didn't really want them there. Um, so like there were serious consequences to not becoming involved. Like it's not as, it's not a strict one zero thing, right? I, like, I think, I think what you see as strict, uh, you know, consequences from not being involved, it's directly also because of involvement. There's, they're not just Syrian refugees. They're refugees from all over the Middle East where like Yemen and, and Iraq and other places like mm. Qatar. So, so it's. Do you know where Yemen's located, my dude? I'm like, I mean, I'm looking at a map up here right now. So yeah. Yeah. So like, it's kind of hard to get to Europe from Yemen. Right, but there are refugees coming from Yemen. Uh, I don't think it's in significant numbers, but I mean, there's no reason we can't look it up. We don't have to bullshit here. So, uh, refugees. Yeah, go ahead. In Europe, from Middle East, 2019. Um, I don't go back. Uh, go back to like twenty, let's three years ago. So twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Okay. Yeah, because that's whenever a lot of migrant uh, crisis, migration in Europe, explained in several charts. Um. So, the of those applying for asylum, about three hundred fifty thousand of them. So more than basically every other country combined. Uh, <clears throat> from Syria. From or Syria, what? right? Um. There was about 150 to 160,000 in Afghanistan. From Afghanistan, about 125,000 from Iraq. Uh, it's actually quite interesting that there are more from Afghanistan than Iraq. I figured Iraq would be number two because you had ISIL and ISIS for a serious problem. But I think there was also, uh, we were in the process of trying to surge troops in Afghanistan because there was a resurgent Taliban there. 
um, during that time as well. The next would be Kosovo, Albania, Pakistan, Eritrea, Nigeria, Iran, and Ukraine. So uh, that, that's your your your. So maybe I was, seekers. Yeah. Maybe I am wrong on that one. I'll give you yeah. that. Um. So like. So it's basically just very hard for Yemeni people to leave Yemen. Because yeah, it's shit of show. Yeah. The, the shit show and the and the area. Yeah, the, the place they have to run to is like they have to run through Saudi Arabia. And many of the like the, many of the people in Yemen have left and gone into Saudi Arabia and claimed asylum there. Um, like that's quite a few people, I believe. That uh, how many displaced Yemenis in Saudi Arabia? Let's look that up. There's no reason we can't look that displaced Yemen in Saudi. Um, displaced. Uh, let's see. Fourteen million at risk of starvation. Houthi rebel forces. Blah blah blah. Fat, forgot, forgotten war. Facts about the most forgotten war. I'm trying to find out exactly how many. I know that like that's like a very common place for them to end up, though. Um, about ten thousand people have been displaced from Yemen, uh, and seven thousand six hundred forty-one have been killed. Um, so. Only 7,000 people have been killed in Yemen. Yeah, well, that, that's probably not counting the 8.4 million that are facing famine as a result of climate change affecting that area. And, and, they're, and maybe you know, a, a blockade of all food and, and aid. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. because the, 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 way, the way that country survives, right, is from food, and the, the Saudis have basically blocked all food from going into the country because they're trying to starve out the Houthis. It's like a modern-day siege. Um, right. It's not really working because the people with guns always get fed. Um but you know, again, this goes back to I don't support the policy of Saudi Arabia. I know you don't. It's just the U.S. It's just the U.S. policy. Like, right, I don't support that policy. I think it's a bad idea. I understand. I'm not making yeah. that argument against you. It's just that my argument is that is what the policy is, and it it should change. Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. But like, there are like it's like here's the thing though. Is like your your view of this is so one zero, right? Like if U.S. involvement bad, U.S. never not being involved good. I mean, if you if you want to say like the overall goal is to leave our you know leave our troops um, or take our troops home, mm -hmm. the the idea that intervening in in these countries is gonna you know stabilize the region enough to where the U.S. can leave, that's not true because we have seen it. It, it, it causes perpetual war. That's just well, what's the, the region has was in perpetual war before we were there, right? Right. So, I mean, what, that's what I'm saying. It's like, so like but here's the, like the causal link you're drawing here, right? Is that like the U S so there's this really great article. Um, and, uh, it's from the Rand corporation and it says assessing security cooperation as a preventative tool. Right. Uh, so Rand is a really, really great think tank. Uh, if you're looking at, at stuff, they do a really good job and they found uh, over a 30 year period with over 1300 observations, right? That when uh, on average security cooperation has a statistically significant relationship with reducing fragility of states, right? So when the US is involved in helping a state um, defend itself, right? Um, the institutions in that state become significantly more strong uh, and it, that effect is actually significantly more poignant when they are a democratic state. Um, so when we help democracies in the Middle East, fledgling democracies like Iraq and Afghanistan protect themselves from outside influence and stuff, they're much more likely to become a stable functioning state in the long run than if That's we not what we were doing with Syria, though. 
Right. We're not. That's not what we're doing with Syria, right? But it's if there's no way that you could do that with the Assad regime, right? Because they right. are they have like you can't so, make so an you, argument so for the funding, Assad regime at this so point, right? So you keep right? funding moderate rebels until Assad is the, again the moderate the, the funding of moderate rebels was a colossal failure. Right, like we did not do a good job with that. Like, and even even if we had, there's no telling what would have actually happened. Right. So, so let's do, let's come to some some sort of a common ground. Let's say if I could swallow the the idea of the U.S. being involved in Syria without funding moderate, which which are really radical Islamist groups. So, how do we do that? How do we do that? I mean, we do have a good security partner. We did have a good security partner on the ground in the Kurds, right? I, are, are we in agreement that the Kurds were a good security par partner on the ground? They worked with the United States. They weren't, you know, murdering civilians. They helped to keep ISIS member, uh, ISIS in check. They helped us win the war against ISIS, right? Which right. we may get to fight again. I'm in but, agreement with you there. The, the Kurds are no angels, but they are great fighters. Oh, and what way are they not angels? Like what have they, what have they what have they done that's like like so horrific like that they, that an alternative would be preferable? I don't have an immediate answer for you. Yeah, I mean like that's just like the exact line that Trump used. So you're just like parroting his line that the Kurds are no angels. No, I'm not parroting Trump. There, I. I mean that's what he said these, though. These so. The reason why we have ISIS prisoners isn't because of like the Kurds. These the, the Kurds would rather just put a bullet in all of their heads, including like the women and children. Like yeah, but like there's a value to having members of this organization, um, you know, like like having them as prisoners because then you can get information from them that leads to like the assassination of people like Bashar al Baghdadi, who is now dead, as a result of intelligence that we got from some of these prisoners. So like the leader that happened, of ISIS happened last night, right? Uh, yeah, happened today. The last twenty four hours, um, like the 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 Kurds do get in trouble because they carry out they're accused of carrying out terrorist attacks on the on border Turkey. Right. on Turkey, right? But right. I think that there is probably some merit to that. But you also have to remember that like the Turks have been like aggressively trying to cleanse them ethnically for like the better part of half of a century right turkey turkey also knowing yeah uh so like it's not as if um it's not so clear-cut as with like you know the taliban or al-qaeda where they're just sort of like shitheads um like they if they're carrying out a terrorist attacks in turkey like you don't want them to do that but if the alternative is like you have no reliable partner on the ground then you know Right. I'll take the reliable partner. Um, so, like, you work with them, you give them the air support they need, and you slowly degrade the Assad regime until, you know, you can get to a point to where there's some sort of, you can either get a, a negotiated settlement where there is some sort of power sharing structure between the Assad regime and the existing Kurdish fighters, right? Or you get um, a new government in place, whatever happens first. Um, and that's sort of entirely up to the Assad regime at that point. Um, there, right. there are a couple of different ways that could go. Um, clearly, you don't want to piss off the Russians because they have an interest in that region of the world and and that in that port in particular. Um, and so you'd want to involve them as well. Like, like there is a way of doing this that do is not like the the George Bush cowboy up, like let's go fucking take Iraq boys way of doing it, which is not something that I think the United States should be involved in. Right. So 
the end there would be working it out with the Russians, Assad, and the Kurds all together, right? Right, so but where, you where, don't where tolerate... is U.S. there? Where is U.S. in the, the, in the, the United States is sort of up. It works as what we've been in the region forever, which is a power broker, right? We decide um, who gets U.S. assistance and who doesn't. Um, and countries with U.S. assistance in that region are extremely powerful, and countries without U.S. assistance in that region are not very powerful. Um, so you basically say Assad, if you Russia, Russia, if you want to keep your port, Assad, if you want to keep your, your power, you need to find a way to cooperate with these people, right? And to share power with these people and to not gas these fucking people. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, then we're going to continue a drone campaign that will degrade your ability to fight this war to the point to where you will eventually lose it. And like so, that would so be a much... Campaigns. Yeah, I mean, drone strikes are very, very effective, yeah. Oh come on! Say something about drones. Come on! I got how many, I got how, many how many civilians have been killed by drones? Depends on who you ask. Who are you asking? Who are you? Um. So, to? like, uh, damn! I wish I had this book with me. There's this really great book called Predators, right? That lays out the arguments for and against drones, and they have both the the CIA estimate, and then they have independent estimates, and then they have like the most like liberal estimates of, of civilian deaths so like the ones that are like ah you know big drones killed like a jillion trillion civilians but like i tend to think that like drones probably kill fewer civilians than the alternatives in the situations where they're used um so there are like significant advantages with drones that you don't have like traditional fighter planes and that you don't have with uh like a missile um it's okay i'm, I'm looking up an article just a month ago from reuters a U.S. drone strike intended to hit Islamic State hideout in Afghanistan killed at least 30 civilians resting after a day's labor in the fields. And that's like the first article I saw past Wikipedia. So it's, let's see, since 2008, that's Wikipedia. I want to go there. Yeah, I mean, you could use Wikipedia. It's fine. We're not, we're not submitting this for fucking review. I think Wikipedia is fine for now. Like, just like, no, I, sure don't wanna be letter, I don't want to be letter. I don't want to be letter. I. Well, I would just check Wikipedia and see that, uh, like, see what source they're pulling from, and then go to that source. Like, that's you know. Right. Um. And 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 if you want to talk about drone strikes, I think Trump has more drone strikes than Obama. Hell yeah. Well, is going to have more, or if not. If, if he doesn't have... Yeah, they're mostly in the federally administrative tribal area in Pakistan. That's where the majority of our drone activity goes right. on. So... <sighs> you know, so the Bureau, uh, the New American Foundation says, like, maybe uh, the journal, at the Journal of Long War, the Long War Journal, right, uh, which follows just anti-terror developments as of mid-2011. Drones in Pakistan had killed 2018 militants and 138 civilians. And like you actually have a really great counterfactual here that you can look to as well. Um, oh no, the server's broken. Um, where like the alternative, right, is to allow Pakistani IS to deal with the Taliban, uh, which is a fucking terrible idea. Right. Because they'll basically carpet bomb the region and not give a fuck who they kill. Right, so if you're killing 138 civilians for every 2,000 militants you kill, like I think that as far as a purely air-led air campaign is pretty fucking good, dude. 
Like I think, like I, your troops on the if you put troops on the ground in the same scenario, the civilian casualty rate would be much much higher. It's it's still balancing lives and in the way people die at this point. It's 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 not a for sure thing either way. It's it's saying we'd rather these innocent people die like this than like other than like this, and. And I don't see the U.S. involvement making things better in the long run because I think there's no out. That's the whole. That's what Osama bin Laden wanted the U.S. to do: no, stay in the Middle East. So Osama bin Laden—that's like a common myth. Osama bin Laden thought that after he did the 9/11 attack, right, that what would actually happen is that the United States, or the the every is like Islamic person of faith in the world would rise up in a great army and then like we'd have a great like doomsday well, I wanted the US involved in perpetual it's a death by a no, thousand and that's not this is what he said after the fact right all of his writings beforehand were all about like how he was going to have like this great jihad where like he wiped everybody out with his great new Islamic army that he so, so you're, you're saying we, we shouldn't yeah. we shouldn't say, say you know take what he said afterwards it's just propaganda really is what it is in my personal opinion right so like he realized that like uh, once the invasion of Afghanistan began and he had to go hide out in the mountains with his dialysis machine or whatever and then ran off to Pakistan he realized that um, there was no way that this like dream he had was going to happen well, um, I mean isn't he right yeah. though we're, we're still there 18 years later so yeah sure but we were there before we'll be there after like... so there's no end no the, the US as long as the US is the world's superpower there's no end to our involvement in the world I'm sorry to tell you that in, in the Middle East there's no end to in the United Middle States, East, in military anywhere, campaigns right. in the in the, the in the Middle yeah. East specifically, obviously there are other yeah. places in the world. Yep, and, and that we will be in the Middle East forever, and uh, we should be advocating for a policy that's realistic because leaving the Middle East is not realistic. Okay, so I'm all about realistic talk here. Um, mm -hmm. I I know that seeing a full withdrawal of U.S. from from the Middle East would is obviously not realistic at this point. It may be uh, if things have been done different in the past or stuff like, or. So you have to, uh, you have to strike the right balance, right? Like, obviously, like, you don't want to have a situation where you have, like, George Bush, where you're yeehaw. But, like, you don't want to have a situation with Obama where, like, you maybe are not yeehaw enough. Because <laughs> he was, it made Obama failed in the Middle East repeatedly, and it was a failure of inaction, not a failure of action. It all stemmed from action, though. That's what I'm saying. It's 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 the fact that the regions were destabilized, like already. It, there would be no power vacuum. There. Well. I Libya was not like there was not significant involvement in Libya by the United States until the civil war had already broken out, right? Right, but the United States contributes to that still. And, uh, and it's a failed state now. It's yeah, it's absolutely completely terrible. State. Yep, and like we definitely should have become more involved in that situation once we realized the direction it was going. But we were we, Obama was not going to be the president that put boots on the ground in Libya. So who, if if Congress is going to declare war, who is it going to be against? Uh, you wouldn't declare war. We don't declare war anymore, dude. Right, that, which is which is absolutely <laughs> terrible. Oh yeah, I agree. Ter uh, terrible practice by the United States. So so, but th there has to be some sort of enemy and common goal. There's none right now. It's a, it's a the, until the whole region 
sees the world like we do, which is a complete other argument. These these places that we're trying to change are culturally completely different from the United States. Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not advocating for changing the culture in, the, in these regions, right? Like putting the Kurds in power isn't going to suddenly turn Syria into like a magical democracy, right? Like uh, just like putting you know the the common Iraqi in power. We're trying right? to we're, we're trying to democratize and and westernize these countries yep. because that's that, a mistake. That, that would be what that's a mistake you yeah. should try to do that right but that's that's what the goal is right to um, basically be able to try do something similar like like uh with japan and how how the u.s helped japan after world war ii change you know, right and we had to sit on them for 70 years and tell them they're not allowed to use guns anymore right uh, so so something like that is ultimately the goal really i think or like uh, South Korea with, with um, the way the U.S. I think that the United States does not have a clear goal in the Middle East, which is part of the problem. Um, we just know that our security interests rely on the free, free flow of oil in the region. We know that there are states in the region that are uh, adamantly anti-U.S. We know that we have to stay in the region at this point in order to maintain security for Afghanistan and Iraq, because if we leave those areas, like you're basically, would, Afghanistan would turn into a complete shit show in like five seconds, and Iraq and would not be much better. How are we going to get our heroin? Well, we burned all the heroin, man. The, the, okay, so I did look this up. The, <laughs> the amount of opium trade coming out of uh, Afghanistan is a lot. Yep. Uh, we so, get, so we missed a couple spots. Yeah. We tried. Uh, just didn't work. We spent no. millions of dollars trying no. to, to get rid of the opium. Didn't work. People, uh, people love their hooch, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just like uh, any drug war. If, uh, as long as the, there are people that are willing to pay for it, there are people who are willing to take the risk of US, having to deal with U.S. forces. And I mean, we definitely the tried. And there was, the there was a good reason point, for it. Um, sit there and help protect the poppy farmers in the poppy fields, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, the goal wasn't so much to get rid of the opium so much as to prevent uh, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and other terrorist organizations operating in Iraq from harvesting it and, from harvesting it. and so they could fund their operation. Yep. Um, you know, it's uh, pretty important that... Uh, like, here's one of these, like, growing opium is punishable by, by death in Afghanistan. It has been for years. Um, they're doing a bad job. <laughs> yeah, like they're, it's it's you know it's sort of beside the point, right? Um, like you know, but like if we leave Afghanistan, you know, we broke that place. We own it. Like there there is no argument for withdrawal from that place until it is secure enough there that they can take care of their own problems. Which I, there is no point in the, in the near future where I see that being possible. I don't see it being possible either, and that's that's why that's why. You don't go there in the first place. Oh, you have to go in Afghanistan after 9-11. There is no alternative. I mean, what was it? 14 out of the 19 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia? Yeah, but the organization they were from was in Afghanistan. It isn't Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, aren't they, aren't they throughout the Middle East? Uh, so it's kind of weird, really? right? Yeah, like Al-Qaeda is super weird. So like the Al-Qaeda Al -Qaeda has many different branches and still operates today. But like when it was under um, Osama, right? Like he was sort of like the chief dog and like the Taliban is sort of, the Taliban's weird because they're not 
a traditional terrorist organization. Um, they're more of a uh, like mafia don type deal. Um, they, they're really more concerned with controlling Iraq or not Iraq, but Afghanistan. Um, they don't particularly care about like you know fighting the United States. So, we, so it's actually funny. Obama pretty much had the deal sealed for a power sharing agreement in Afghanistan between with the, the Taliban. Taliban with yeah. the Taliban. And you know what broke it up? You know what killed this whole fucking deal? They they'd spent years getting it sent through and like he was going to end the war in Afghanistan before he left his second term and like that was going to be like his gift to the world um and it, it probably would have it, it probably would have been pretty good right I mean we're trying to negotiate with them now actually uh to get a, an agreement but it's going less well than it did last yeah, time well did I see something a few months ago, Trump invited some of the Taliban to like Mar-a-Lago uh, or something like that. UAE, yeah, he was yeah. gonna invite them to Mar-a-Lago as well for a face-to-face meeting, but then they killed a U.S. serviceman the week before. <laughs> yep, blew that one right up. Um, I mean, Trump wants out, and I think that if we reelect him, he'll get out one way or the other, and it's not going to be great. Uh, you don't think he's doing it for campaign reasons? Um. I think he legitimately thinks that like the United States doesn't need to be in the Middle East and that you can just pick up and leave and it's no problem. Because like if he was doing it for campaign reasons, he would not have pulled the shit that he did in Syria, right? Mm-hmm. Like because like that has been pretty negative press across the board, right? Um, I think he'll leave. But you know the Taliban's an, an interesting organization in that like I think that you probably can negotiate a peace settlement with them, but you have to do it from a position of strength. Anyways, so like they had it almost done. And then, like, they, they gave them a, an embassy. The Taliban had an embassy in, in uh, what's the capital city of Afghanistan? Fuck. It doesn't matter. Um, they had an embassy there, and that's where they were going to continue the negotiations and continue the power-sharing agreement that they were working on. But one of the rules is you can't put the Taliban flag up. Kabul. Kabul? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, you can't put the Taliban flag up in your embassy. You can't do it. First day they were there, they raised the fucking Taliban flag up. They kicked them out. That was That was, that was it. it. Damn. You have to argue for it. You have to negotiate from a position of strength, I think, when you're dealing with these things. Can't have nice things. Okay. So, I don't know. What else do you want to talk about? Um, to be honest, everything, but not, not much. We've been going at it for about an hour and a half, and I do have business organizations and common law readings out, out, <laughs> my, out, and property, out of your out, ass, out I'm of sure. Out of my yeah. asshole. Um, but I think... I think... Um, Obviously, uh, if we're talking realistic here, the U.S. is not going to be uninvolved in the Middle East anytime soon. Let's talk about like achievable then. What's achievable as far as U.S. Yeah, that's cool. I'd like to end on a good, good note. Like, what is? Yeah, like let's take like the the space. Like, I am all about pragmatism, right? Like, like, and I think that like the libertarians have a point when they talk about U.S. involvement abroad. But I think that like all libertarian philosophy like it goes to the absolute extreme to the point like let's leave right now like yeah let's leave now don't Uh, give a shit about anyone right and not only that but like all there is no such thing as good u.s involvement which is sort of a point that you tried to make tonight but i don't think that's right um so like what is where do we go from here like on a realistic note well uh, seeing the damage that Trump's already done in northern Syria um, and seeing how that plays out now, um, I think you see Russia kind of help stabilize that in the northern area 
and hopefully things cool down in Syria and those refugees in that in that northern area can actually return return home. Um, I think, like you said, working with the EU and and uh, U.S. allies in the region probably our best bet. Get getting other countries to pour more of their resources in, and the U.S. kind of taking not like a backstage to them, but maybe taking you know not all of the stage like this is a global catastrophe and it needs to be handled by everybody mm-hmm. it you know it if the u.s is the world police for every single conflict ever we're spreading ourselves too thin with our resources and with our with our people you know it's it's just the city of fallen or the, the story of fallen empires stretching themselves too thin and then crumbling apart. We're so polarized here at home. We need something to be on the same page about. Yeah, uh, I mean, I see what you're saying. So like you would want like more of our security partners to be involved. Um, I think that in a lot of these areas, we already have quite a few of our security partners to be involved that are involved. But when it comes to like military capabilities, we have to always remind ourselves that like, there's a reason that Europeans don't have to pay to go to the doctor. It's because they don't have to really worry about their security because the United States guarantees it. Um, you know, they, they know that if the Russians are aggressive and attack NATO, that they will be protected. So their contributions are always going to be limited. Um, while, while I agree that I want them to be as involved as possible, I'm not sure that like uh, they are going to be ever managing any significant portion of this conflict in the region as as long as the u.s is primarily the one involved that's what's going to spread the hate of the united states throughout the whole middle east uh, our, we have so many bases in in the middle east like surrounding Af- or not afghanistan surrounding iran and you know our enemies there so Mm-hmm. As long as the United States maintains that, there's there's just going to be a hate for the United States that's just going to perpetuate war. I think that this is an argument that does not take into account like the material realities, right? Like that. Well, they hate the they hate the United States, and they hate the United States because the United States is there. But especially when we're talking about Iran, like I think we've demonstrated that Iran holds a tremendous amount of influence over the entire world economy and could severely, severely damage the world economy if they so desire to, and basically hold the entire world economy ransom, really, like without the U.S. there as a, as a credible deterrent. Well, really, it just, it just comes from our bases surrounding Iran. Like if, if another country, if Russia surrounded the U.S. with a bunch of bases we would be fighting them on this side of the hemisphere too. So it's, it's one of those things where we're in their backyard. Yeah. And like, why is that bad? Like, why would you not want to be in uh, like, so it's a country that has openly stated they're hostile to the United States, right? It's a country that actively works to destabilize the region. Like it's, it's a country that like, they, like I'm not, I know Iran hawk, but like you have to realize like the Iranians are like, bad news uh, like obviously i don't want to invade but like at, at the same time having that credible threat is pretty important right 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 but as you said earlier iran's a, a, uh, economy is 
more diverse than a lot of a lot of the mm-hmm. countries in the region and so really the country is focusing on you know their economy they're not focusing on full-on invading other countries maybe they they no. have proxy groups in hezbollah so you know what the number two uh, after the russians as far as like influ- trying to influence like u.s politics and stuff is well I, am i going to entertain you by even answering why what would you want me to do that i mean like do you know who it is though i'm gonna guess it's iran it's iran you're right i mean they do they have the largest cyber army in the world No, no. Yeah, I, I figured it would be China, the Chinese or the North Koreans. They're actively trying to work very, very hard to get a Democrat in power so that they can get everything smoothed over with the nuclear deal. Right. Like, uh, they're working very, very hard to make sure Trump doesn't get a second term, including a disinformation campaign targeted at his voters, just like the Russians did in 2016. Right, right? but we do, we do want AJCPOA in the region, right? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I, of course I want those things. The Ira- Iranians want them too, right? But I don't think that, like, the, pretending that, like, just because the Iranians have a diverse economy and that they are somewhat beholden to their people despite being an autocratic regime means that we can just sort of trust them to pick our military bases and go home, right? Like, they, they have they're, – they're, it's a fusion of ideology and, um, like, material reality that you have to deal with when it comes to the Iranians. Like, they really do – believe that uh the united states is like looking to destroy them and like while i agree that there's some merit to the argument but like of course I mean, they believe there, that. there's merit to the argument in that yeah. the united states is trying to do that to the whole middle east uh i i think the united if, if the if the whole middle east became one country tomorrow called arabistan right and they d- decided to chill I think that we would all be pretty happy with that. Like, I don't think that we in the United States has a policy of just killing Middle Easterners for no reason. No, no. I mean, sometimes you you wonder if they if they do, but because we've been there for so long, and that's just what's happening right now. But right, because it's it's our it's in our security interest, right, to uh, ensure that there are countries. Is Iran gonna gonna launch? A nuke tomorrow if the United no. States picks up and That's a, I'm not worried about that, right? I'm, I'm like I like the if the or US even and try to invade Israel. They're not going to try to do that. Or or Iraq, right no, next that, to them. Absolutely no. not. Because because they've never they've never done that. That's oh, not. That's not well. That's not the reason. Uh, <laughs> um, like uh, just because they haven't done it before doesn't mean they won't, right? I mean they did fight a war the Iranians and, and Iraq, like uh, right yeah. when Iraq invaded Iran. Yep, uh, but like that, there's a lot to that, right? Like, uh, was it just like Iraq invading Iran? Like, there was a lot of drum beating, and there were lots of fighting back and forth for years before that. Um, so like, the U.S. should step in, handle that war too. No, um, I don't. I want the region to be stable, right? That is the goal, right? What <laughs> that would be great. Like, but I think that leaving the region to its own devices, which we pretty much tried to do under the Obama administration, like we, our intervention was very limited. Um, has led to it being significantly less stable. Like, like, can you can you make the argument that like like after like Obama failed miserably in the Middle East with his Middle East policy? It was an absolute abject failure. But it isn't as a result of like using drones. It's a result of like not doing enough when you see that states in the region are beginning to collapse in on themselves like tiny stars. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So so we have an instance of 
George Bush with intervention being terrible. And then we have an instance of Obama where non-intervention to a certain extent was also terrible. Yeah. See, it's tough. Like it's it's like so hard to like di- to to take this like cobweb of bullshit that is the Middle East and actually have a conversation about it, where you're not constantly like you you can't just like compare cases and be like, well, this time we intervened and it was good, and this time we intervened and it was bad, like and come to a conclusion that like a policy should be full force like George Bush or like a, a like the libertarian three. That's like super difficult. Like there are cases where I don't think we should be as involved. Like giving the Saudis weapons is probably not that great at this point with the way that they're using them. Like we should get out of the business of dealing guns to the Saudi Arabians. Um, like, I don't think that giving the Israelis weapons that allow them to like basically create the world's biggest open air prison uh, is probably not the greatest idea in the world. Um, well, I mean, in all reality, um, we're there for the oil. Yep. And, and then also just, you know, the, the, idea that a war economy is good for for us you know for the us is is obviously what what all the elites in the in the united states are like like perpetuating war obviously they're going to make money by selling weapons Mm. i don't know if that's necessarily true Um, that that they make money by selling weapons so no that that like the every elite in the united states is on board with perpetuating war and that's every elite because trump trump is obviously um you know, at least stating that he's against. I mean, he sold billions of dollars in guns to Saudi Arabia. He's he sold go. more. He's he's been like one of the biggest arms exporters as a president ever. There you go. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know any elites who are not in the business of doing. I don't this. think Obama wanted to be in the business of of uh, perpetuating any sort of thing. I think like his goal was to draw down in the Middle East ultimately and pivot to Southeast Asia. I mean, that's what TPP and everything was about. Right, um, but, but looking at what actually happened, I I think yeah. it was kind of with the opposite direction maybe he wanted it to go but it's still that's just still how it went. i mean yeah but that that's like he's, a... he's no longer involved right now whether he's remain he's going to remain uninvolved you know but he's still young still young I mean... guy Obama, I think Obama's uh, done with this bullshit. Uh, I think he's had his t- he's had his fill of being criticized and shit on both validly and invalidly uh, through the years. Um, I don't think you're going to see him rejoining political life anytime soon, unless they appoint him to the Supreme Court or something, um, which would be pretty oh. pretty spicy for uh, a Democratic president to appoint Obama to the Supreme Court. That'd be super spicy. That'd be the spiciest shit ever. <laughs> Um, I, I think that drawing down in the Middle East is the right thing to do long term, um, specifically because, A, I think that while we have significant security interests there today, um, if we manage to not wipe ourselves out as a result of global warming um, and develop alternative sources of energy, uh, our security interests in the future there will be significantly fewer. Um, and the power that those states hold over the world economy will be significantly less. As, as states transition off of fossil fuels and into more renewable energies, um, you know, we won't need the Strait of Hormuz nearly as badly as we need it today. Um, that being said, uh, in the foreseeable future, I think that the U.S. probably needs to take a larger role in the Middle East than it currently does. Uh, I think that U.S. withdrawal from the Middle East has led to nothing but misery for the people on the ground whose nations we've broken. Um, and I think that going forward, we should 
look to work with our partners in the area to not dominate the region because that's not gonna, uh, an achievable goal, but to lead a, uh, a, a regime of uh, security and cooperation between the states and the region. That sure should be our long-term goal there um, for the foreseeable future, for our lifetimes at least. I doubt we're getting out of there. So Yeah, that's a, that's a good mixture there. Um, I would like to see pretty much the same thing you said. Um, working with our allies in that region, I don't, I don't think more involvement would be, would be good for the region though. But I do, I do think that disengaging in the region with a, with a good plan, obviously, is the goal. And first of all, you have to have a goal. And mm -hmm. right, right now there is, there's no goal. Yep. So, I agree with you so that, that's, that's the first issue. Find, find a goal. Find, mm -hmm. find a few enemies. Declare war on them, if, if you will, if you want. And, yeah. then, and then figure, figure out, um, you know, this, this cobweb of fuckery. Yeah, it's the most complicated region to really have a conversation about. It's so hard. Well, we uh, tried. We, I mean, we did try. I don't know how successful we were. We definitely tried, so... Um, it's just uh, when it, when you have like so many factions involved, things get confusing. Yeah, like, there was this article, and there's uh, like tons of disinformation too. Right, there was this article I was reading from the L.A. Times, uh, where CIA funded groups were f literally f firing and fighting um, Department of Defense funded groups. Yep. Like so, so you have instances where where the U.S. is funding two different sides and they're fighting each other and the department yeah. of state guys are going, Hey, um, why, why are, uh, why are your CIA guys firing back at us? Well, yeah. it's, it's their yeah. job. It's their job. So. Right. This was the, the program you're talking about here is the program before Timber Sycamore where we poured like right. $500 million and, you know, accomplished just, nothing, but it's just, you drop money and guns and you hope it ends up in the right place. That's, that's yeah. ultimately kind of the, the yeah. kind of, kind of policies that we both want to see not, not yeah, I just think that uh, we're so far away under the current administration of getting near, anywhere near like a good Middle East policy where we can like maybe see the troops in that region get out of like desert fuckville anytime soon. Uh, I think that we're probably closer to open conflict with the Russians than we've ever been as a result of like the, the way that things have gone down in Syria over the last couple of weeks because I doubt very seriously that we're going to cede Syrian oil fields to the Russians. Um, it's going to be bad news. Um, you know, there's, there's two major pipelines running, running through that region. One of them controlled by Syria, Iran, and Russia, and the other one controlled by Saudi Arabia and the U.S. And they both run through Syria at some point. I mean, so, basically, we're really looking at the beginning of another set of proxy wars in uh between the i mean we're really at the at the brink of a second cold war right now i think right between the russians and the united states which is the last thing we need because we already all also have the chinese as a growing hostile power in the world that is significantly more concerning than the russians so we really need to find a way to I, wrap up I, this shit right i completely agree i don't i think for the means of that oil field you take those 50 troops and take them out of there that's yeah. that's just my my view on that i the whole the whole what uh china question very very intriguing to see what will happen with that given the given the number of humanitarian 
atrocities that are currently happening in China right yeah, now. The Uyghurs. The Uyghurs. And, yeah, and Hong Kong. Hong Kong, right. And then you put Taiwan on the back burner because no one even talks yeah. about Taiwan anymore, but the U.S. still recognizes that as China's, China's territory. So this one China policy that goes back to the Carter administration, I believe. Well, we really just don't talk about it right it's not like we're right. oh yeah so, we right. won't recognize right. taiwan as independent because we recognize taiwan as independent we just do it for economic said, reasons china's basically said we will invade taiwan if you recognize them as independent um right. so it's, it's for the good it's funny I had, I had a buddy who uh does like uh worked on, a, on a, an aircraft carrier and he said he, the work he was doing every time they would go through it they could see all the chinese like missiles locking onto them <laughs> as they went through the strait between Taiwan and China. And he was like, Holy shit. He was like, that's a little nerve-wracking. No. Right? Like, all, all it's going to ah. take is, like, like one trigger-happy seaman or one trigger-happy Chinese missile operator, and suddenly you've got, like, a real issue over there. Mm. Um, you know, the Chinese are, are really the pressing threat. Like, Middle East, I do want to wrap up stuff there. I just don't know if there's a way that we can do it on a time frame that doesn't fuck the entire region. Um, and if we fuck the entire region, we'll have to end up back there in 10 or 15 years anyways. Right. Maybe this is a uh, foreshadowing to another episode. Yeah, maybe. We could talk about China. I don't want to talk about China. I love – China's my main my main right. interest. I want to do a lot of study on them. Um, All right. I got to talk shit about Tulsi Gabbard, and then we can leave. I You can't – like, look, I, I'm <laughs> only a fan of Tulsi's foreign policy, and I speak for a lot of libertarians there, that, that – like libertarians get mistaken, or I guess Tulsi gets mistaken for a libertarian because she's not. So uh, that's that's the main thing there. And sure, go ahead and talk whatever shit you want. All right, Tulsi Gabbard is any- a fucking clown. All right, uh, I if I were given dictatorial power over the Democratic Party tomorrow, I would ban her from running unilaterally as a Democrat. I mean, and I the, would- they basically had like don't don't worry too much about that. The Democrats <laughs> aren't going to run Tulsi Gabbard. She, she dropped out of the campaign last last run whenever uh, she endorsed Bernie Sanders and yeah uh, and they were Looks all. Like she'll uh, probably endorse him again. Who is Bernie Sanders is also a clown, but well, he he just has a different wig on. I don't think he. I don't think he. Has a wig. <laughs> he needs a wig, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, clowns with the big red afros or whatever, you know. Uh, hers is really red. Hers, his is more like a light purple because she just loves Russia so much. Look, just like underneath the underneath the counter with Vladimir Putin. With Tulsi, uh, she would be the Democrats' favorite person if she didn't come out against Hillary and if she didn't come out for Bernie in the last election. They would love. She's a woman of color. She's she's Mom. Hindu. So so she. The bigger you, you, you don't hear, uh, you know. First female president and Tulsi Gabbard in the same sentence. Yeah, it's because like, it's a joke. Like, like you, her policy. She doesn't have a crazy. penis. She doesn't have a penis. So there's that. It like you hear it with all the other Democratic candidates. It's it's identity politics. It's what the Democrats do. They just don't want to do it with a person like Tulsi Gabbard because that's not who they want. Whoa, hang on. Do you think that like really it's just the fact that like Gabbard. Uh, talk shit about hillary and endorse bernie that like democrats delight you think that's it that there's no like real serious policy disagreements between the two of them oh there are other reasons but i think that the people in charge wanted wanted hillary in last time and so they're very upset at her they've remained upset um i think that she had little to no impact 
like if you ask most Democrats who the fuck Tulsi Gabbard is, they don't know. Well, I believe that because right. you know, most Democrats. So, like if you ask, well, d who did she endorse? I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you, um, unless I had, uh, you know, just read it or whatever. Give me just a minute. I have a whole list of anti-Tulsi Gabbard shit that I want to get through, but I can't so find we're, it. We're, right I am not going to do this. Hey, no, 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 no. It'll be like 10 seconds. On. It'll be like 10 seconds. I promise. Is, is, is it that whole thing you send me of like different articles? Because a lot of that was just definitely bullshit. It's not bullshit. And they're hit pieces. I, I read a CNN hit piece on Tulsi Gabbard the other day where they're pretending that Hillary Clinton wasn't even talking about Tulsi Gabbard in that podcast when all the headlines say it's it's yeah, obviously no, they were, Tulsi Gabbard. So it, it, it obviously is Tulsi Gabbard, and and she was meaning to talk about Tulsi Gabbard. Let's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and then CNN even comes out against Hillary. Like, what are you doing, Hillary? Why are you saying this stuff? Um. Well, I mean, I think Corey that Hillary did even Buttigieg. Right. You like Buttigieg, right? So He's even right. Buttigieg, um, you know, was saying, you know, Hillary shouldn't have said this. It's terrible. Like she votes with Republicans, right? She was almost part of Trump's cabinet at the request of Steve Bannon. Um, she declined to join 169 Democrats in condemning Trump for appointing Steve Bannon. So like she's like in his like orbit. Um, like she's not really anti-war. She just hates terrorists, right? Which, I, hey, I'm on board, right? Her her narrow objections center around like efforts to spread democracy. In short, when it comes to war against terrorists, I'm a hawk. When it, I, it comes to counterproductive wars and regime change, I'm a dove. Um, so like, it's not like broadly anti-war. It's just like right, broadly. Right, like, and, the, and that's a, that's thing, the thing right? though. But it, it's it's at least something, you know, at least getting out I, of the region. I guess. Whereas most Democrats are turning into hawks. Uh, she voted against condemning Bashar al-Assad, president of Syria. Yeah, we all know that. Uh, that's awful. Um, she wants to block Syrian refugees from being able to enter the United States. Like, these are not, like, positions that, like, a Democrat, like, an average run-of-the-mill Democrat has. Like, she has very outside of the, like, outside of the party positions, and that's why the party opposes her. It has nothing to do with, like, her endorsing Bernie or whatever. Like I, I, I like see that, but then, but then I also see stuff like when she was the most Googled candidate after the second debate. Yeah, because she said and, a bunch of crazy shit. And then Google throttles her searches, and then she has to sue them for fifty million dollars. Uh, Gabbard. She's currently suing Google right now. On Google, is there any evidence for this, or she's just? Um... They took down her ads, I believe. Is what the what the claim is. Uh, Gabbard sues Google. Uh, yeah, has sued Google for temporarily suspending her advertising account after during a primary debate last claiming the company is just trying to suppress her bid for lawsuit accused Google of violating the First Amendment. I mean, they didn't stop her searches. They just stopped her ads for whatever reason. Um, it's, it's, I mean, she was thankful. It seems to be just a few hours. Critical hours after the debate. Problems with billing information or violations of our advertising policies. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, this doesn't seem like... Uh, seems like maybe this was like a technical glitch or something. Like, sure, she should probably sue Google if this is actually the case. And, like, there isn't some actual reason that it was stopped. And it was just, like, they fucked up. Like, and they should definitely have to... It's kind of a coincidence. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, a weird coincidence. Like, I'll give yeah. you that, but like, I don't think that this is like. Uh... Yeah, I mean, we'll see it play out. If if it was a technical issue, then 
Google is probably like, whoops. Yeah, maybe we'll issue at a bad time. Yeah, Chelsea I mean, Gabbard. but here's the thing. There are other extreme candidates that Google isn't like actively allied against, right? Like Elizabeth Warren has advocated like breaking up big tech and it's not as if like Google is like taking her ads off the internet. Well, like, she's she, a mainstream Democratic candidate, so. Google's not really. Not Elizabeth that. Warren is definitely outside of the mainstream of the party. In the, in the uh, polling, in the polling, she's top yeah, two, yeah, absolutely. Right, so. uh, she is probably on track to win the nomination, especially if she can convince black voters. But like, do you, you know. okay, so do you think that that she stands a chance against Trump? Like, it, like who stands the best chance against Trump out of out of the slate right now? Because I, I don't. That's such a difficult question to ask because, like, the obviously the person who beats Trump stands the best chance against Trump. I, I don't see. <laughs> I, I I don't uh, see any of those. Democratic candidates beating. I I think Pete Buttigieg will beat Trump badly. Personally, I think Cory Booker would beat Trump badly. I think Joe Biden would probably do pretty well against Trump. Um, I think Warren would probably beat Trump. Um, I'm not sure if Bernie Sanders would beat Trump because he has skeletons in his closet that really haven't been unearthed because he hasn't been a general election candidate nationwide. Um, I think that Amy Klobuchar would beat Trump. Uh, Beto can, would not uh, suicided his political career by talking honestly about his opinions on guns. Big mistake there, buddy. Uh, Come and get him. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, uh, that's what that's what everyone said. Who, yeah, who has a bunch of shotguns in the back of their much, truck? Yeah. I think Yang probably wouldn't beat Trump just because, like, the, the amount of tax hikes it would take to give everybody in the country a thousand dollars is not something people are going to be on board with. You know, what, um, I'll, t- I'll take a thousand dollars a month. That'd be nice. Yeah, it wouldn't be, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice? Uh, I mean, it's it's awful for poor people because it's a handout to some of the richest people in the country. But whatever. Um, I don't need a thousand dollars a month. I make good money. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like it. Please give it to me. But I don't need it. <laughs> like I think that in the the general election polling shows every single major Democrat beating Trump by double digits in most states right now. But I mean, it's a month out or whatever, right? So it's like, who the fuck knows? We'll see. I I do think there's a concerted effort among among like your your democratic institution, like like your democratic party, and say like Twitter or Facebook or or Google. They, these these people kind of even if they're not even if they're not. There's any evidence for that? I think you're just engaged. Dude, you have actually, I, I'm going to say this. You have a bad propensity to engage in conspiracy thinking, my dude. Look, it's it's not conspiracy thinking if it's obvious. You, all these companies, like, I'm going to use Alex Jones as an example. Okay, the minute YouTube demonetized and kicked Alan, Alex Jones off of YouTube, Twitter did it, Facebook did it. Yep. So the idea that these companies is, are not working together. absolutely toxic. So the companies aren't working together. They don't talk to each other. I, I mean, I'm sure they talk to each other, but like to say that it's a concerted campaign to silence his like noble voice, right? Like they don't, they silenced his noble voice because he was like ad, saying that like Sandy Hook was a false flag attack and like, and like oh, no, encouraging no, no, no. people to like go I'm and not, fucking, uh, that, that was, that was harassed. years ago. That was actually when Sandy Hook happened back in yep. 2000 but and like he, whenever. And then you're talking about, years later like do it when that had he's continuously pushed that conspiracy theory even into the modern day yes he has but like not up until that point that wasn't when they took him off they took him off because of what he said back 
in like years ago before that they are just looking for a reason to take him off i'm not saying alex jones is a great voice of information obviously he's not but that's just an instance of it happening it happens with a lot of people on the right as well the, like who the, uh, Steven Crowder is demonetized on YouTube right now. They've kicked him off Twitter on a lot, um, a few accounts also. Okay, so Steven, is Steven Crowder still demonetized on you, Steven Crowder? I thought he was demonetized for a, for a little bit and then got like remonetized. They might have remonetized him. It's still uh, the same thing, whether you're demonetizing and a remonet like they're demonetizing him because the algorithm. Oh, the reason that he was demonetized was because. He's he's linking to a homophobic shirt, and that is against YouTube policy to link to homophobic content. I I I know what shirt you're talking about because I've I've seen the shirt, um, and also several instances of him using like homophobic language as well on his channel. Okay, so yeah, where he specifically not... called out Carlos Maza, who's like the the host of like one of Vox's things, right? Um, and called him a and I quote fairy. So they're gonna a lispy queer him. and a gay Mexican, <laughs> right? That's what he called him. Okay. That's, I mean, that's pretty bad, right? Like, I think that if anybody on the left said something like that, that like, so he should, should be probably... kicked off. He should be kicked out of the public forum. Oh no! Whoa, 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 hang on. Do you want to? Hey, do you want to regulate YouTube like a utility? I'm happy to do that. Like, I, I would be happy to regulate this private company as a utility. I think it's a no, great position. No, no, there's, there's, there's something to be said. That there's a whole different argument there. It's, it's a, a whole nother can of worms. Well, I I don't know, dude. It seems like a private company. In this country, private companies are allowed to include whoever the hell they want and exclude whoever the hell they want. That's right. So so I guess they can monetize them and demonetize them at their will. Yep. Right? And all of the companies do it at the same time. Yep. So. Probably because they all realize that having a homophobe on your platform is a loser for attracting users. Yeah, maybe. Whatever their reasoning is, they do it a lot. I don't know. I think that like you, almost every time it's ever happened, right? It's been because the person is saying something like incredibly, incredibly offensive. What offends any? You know, like I it, think that it just rarely happens to people like like the Young Turks or yeah, the Young Turks you know, suck a, too. But like leftist, they aren't a leftist. They are calling. Uh, they, they, you could go on and on the Young Turks and say like horrifically awful stuff, right? But like it's not hate speech, right? Even if it was, it, it probably wouldn't get demonetized. Yeah, but like, like I mean, I think honestly that Hassan should probably be demonetized for what he said about that one goober that I don't even like um, on Twitch, right? And he it did he, he did, did receive a seven-day ban on Twitch, right? Like for the, the comments he made about the, the veteran, the one with the one eye. What's his name? Know. That congressman? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he said some like really awful shit. Like he hoped like uh, Muhajadeen or whatever is going to like, you know, like fuck his eyeball or whatever. It's like pretty gross. Um, you should be able to say whatever you want. Obviously, the the companies are getting it. Like, like this is why it's an interesting argument for whoa, whoa, whoa. from a libertarian. You think you should be able to say whatever you want without consequences? You think there are no consequences for your actions? That's yeah, that's not what I'm saying. You're kind of twisting my words there. Well, no, obviously. I mean, in effect, right? Like, if you allow Hassan 
to go on uh, or Hassan to go on to TV and say horrific stuff, right? Like there will be consequences. There should be consequences, right? Free speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences. Like, right, I, like it, I can't, I can't run into a theater and shout fire in a, you know, in a public place. That's, that's obvious. Uh, that's obvious. Well, yeah, yeah, you can run into the theater and shout kill the gays if you want to, right? Like, I, you shouldn't. But, like, if you did shout that, there would be consequences for it, right? Right, but that is that is an instance. Like, you might get banned from the theater? Yeah, it's a private theater. They can do that. So, like, what's the problem with, like, Hassan being banned from Twitch for a week? Or like, I didn't say that. I didn't uh, say there was a problem with that. I, I was saying there's a problem when all the companies conspire together and do this. And that's why I said it's another can of worms because traditionally, well, whenever you're talking about is private, it private, traditionally when you're talking about private companies regulating things, you know, that's, that's not something you want to do. But in this instance, these companies have grown so big. It is, it is basically your public forum. This is where people go. The internet is the new, is the new public square. So what do you do about it? That's a modern question that I don't think yeah. has been answered yet to I satisfaction. Think, and I, I'm, I'm happy to like talk about breaking up the big tech companies or like uh, regulating the way that they could do that. Like, but to say that like they- I'm not happy talking about it right now. We can't. Yeah, There's we don't no... have time. Um, I, I got to go play The Outer Worlds. It's very important. Um, well, are... What is The Outer Worlds? Oh, dude. Get on that shit when you get some free time. Law school isn't kicking your ass. Mm -hmm. how, how much more do you have left, by the way? I have about a year and a half left, so 2021. Oh, yeah? Uh, what are you going to do once you're out? I'm going to try to get a job somewhere doing um, foreign policy in mm -hmm. any capacity, maybe maybe work for an NGO or something. Um, or work, um, work for whatever form like i'm gonna go where you, the money goes at first try and get out of debt i have a weird number of connections within the republican party uh i well i would yeah i do uh i have a I, well my my uh cousin is a former congressman for a republican congressman <laughs> um and i have a couple friends that work on the hill for various people um when you're finished up shoot me a line Tell me really what you're interested in doing, and I'll see if I can get you some FaceTime or a telephone call or whatever. Nice, thanks. Uh, if I mean, I would hate to, to to lose you to the Republican Party, as it stands I, today. It's, it's not gonna. It's not gonna happen. Um, <laughs> I've lost you know, so many. No, <laughs> I, I am. I am not a Democrat I mean, or Republican. There. Maybe and, by the time, like you're done with college, we'll be out of this sort of crazy episode and focused on getting some shit done we'll see hopefully um but yeah no we can definitely talk about that i i um let's let's get through with this and i'll end the recording and then we can uh, we can have some chit chat yeah yeah no, no I've, I've, i'm good we could just finish up yeah okay all right yeah. great um do you do you have any plugs right now go ahead and plug it uh whatever whatever you have going on uh twitch.tv slash vermath one uh I, that's v-e-r-m-a-t-h and the number one um I sometimes yell at people and argue with them there, mostly about politics stuff. Um, normally, it's a complete fucking disaster. This was not a disaster, so um, that's good. Uh, I thought you, you held your ground really well and had a lot of good points. So uh, Most of my conversations don't go that way, so if you like to watch people try to argue with me and do a terrible job, Go there sometimes. Sometimes I'm there doing stuff. Most of the time I'm not, though. All right. Great. Um, <clears throat> thanks for coming on again. Um, yeah. 
free content now. I don't. I don't have to thank him because he likes doing it. That's mm-hmm. just what he does already. <laughs> Trey, uh, like one of the smartest guys I know, to be honest. He's uh, he he backs his his um logic up with facts and numbers, as you saw today. He he did a good job of pretty much wiping the floor with me. To be honest, <laughs> I, I was ill prepared. I tried to um you know stay steadfast in my beliefs and my in my strong points. Um, but we're not afraid of opening our minds and basically trying to come to a realistic comp- compromise. I'm never going to be afraid of doing that. Um, and hopefully um, I will grow in my, in my political thinking and my uh, reading. As uh, Trey and I have said before, I'm in law school, so I'm buried in books. <clears throat> so I have to sure up a lot of my, a lot of my beliefs with literature Oh, uh, look at Cato, man. Yeah, the Cato, Cato Institute a lot does a really, lot of research, yeah. Yeah, like uh, they have a great paper on offshore balancing that uh, gives a, a plausible libertarian view of uh, Middle Eastern policy. There you uh, go. I think it's really good. So you can catch me at the fri- uh, the Friar, the Higher Frequency Podcast Network on Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, podcast app, all your Android podcast apps. And uh, I do college football extravaganza weekly and the Luchadors of Liberty, which is this podcast. Um, probably we try to do it bi-weekly, but it's been like five, like bi-monthly. It's been <laughs> monthly because we're just so busy. My, my buddy who does the show with me back in Pensacola is Joey Clark. Um, he's just a libertarian who likes to drink, really. And then my other buddy who does it with me, Dimitri Nanos, he's Greek. He's very smart. He had his undergrad in economics and he's in law school with me. Very smart on the economics side of things. So that'd be who you'd want to talk to about like the economics. I was going to bring an economics argument into it, but I was like, you know what? If he asks me, well, where'd you get that from? I'm going to be like, well, see, you see. So there that is. But yeah, catch us there. Um, Great talking to you as always. We went a yeah. little long, but I knew we were going to do this. It's always going to be long if you're talking to me, man. Yep, there it is. I just, I just have a lot to talk about. <laughs> there we go. Well, at least we came to some common ground, I think, and yeah. uh, you know, maintained our cool. That is, that is the overall goal, because too many people are too polarized and cannot handle discourse. Yeah, uh, I think the only time that you're going to get me real upset is if we talk guns. I'll get mad. I uh, I get real mad. That's fine. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I really, on guns, to me, it's, um, it's not a non-issue. Obviously, I believe in the Second Amendment, but I also believe in states' rights and how they, they handle and regulate those, those guns themselves. So it's kind of, I have kind of more of a modern um, view I guess I would say, but we won't get into that right now, obviously. Um, but yeah, great listening to, uh, or I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this dialogue about the Middle East and, and different solutions for overall peace in the Middle East and stability. So signing off uh, with good parting words. Catch us mm-hmm. again next time. Peace. Yep, Pete 2020. <laughs>